This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson, vackra, snälla, Thank you everybody for oh I am oh man I got a head rush there. Woo! Thank you everybody for tuning in to another episode of the Keeper Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys own Eric Carlson and their keeper pools. I'm your host, Elon Dubrowski. I know you're probably thinking the fantasy season's over. What are you guys even doing? But we're still here pumping out content with, of course, my esteemed co-host, the fantasy hockey robot, the forecasting fanatic, the rotisserie robot, the pooba of prognostication, Brian Com. Elon, you forgot one credit, which is current leader of the Keeping Carlson Cupful Champions uh, Fantasy Playoff Pool. Wow. There's definitely a lot of redundancy in what I just said, if you uh, take the acronym and spell it out. But anyway, hi, everyone. Hi, Elon. Thanks. Uh, yeah, we're going to be with you through the playoffs, through the offseason, through the rest of your lives. So, <laughs> yeah. so, so settle in and enjoy. You can't get rid of us. But of course, maybe you're getting a little sick of us now that you've been listening to us all season long. So we've brought in some reinforcements for this episode. So let me set the table for what we've got planned today. We've got here two couple winners that you heard on the last episode. We've got Ben and we've got Jade. And they have crunched the numbers. They sent out a survey. They did all the calculations. They're the real advanced stats nerds here. And they've got an awards show to present to us. They sent a survey to every participant of the Cuckupful, the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patriot Fantasy League, to survey them on who are the... Well, they'll tell you all about it, but it's going to be a lot of fun. It doesn't matter. You don't have to have been in the Cuckupful. We're going to learn a lot about what happened this fantasy season. So welcome, Ben and Jade. Yeah! And Jade, hello! Woo! All right, we are here. We go. We're gonna get this rolling. I'm very excited. Okay, before we get to everything, let's set the table. Like I said, beyond that, okay, we're gonna do the couple awards. Jade's gotta then go play hockey. Brian and myself, and maybe Ben are gonna stick around afterwards, and we're gonna chat what's about what's been going on in the first round of the playoffs. Brian will probably brag a bit more about how he's in first place in this pool. Brian, how how should I have known that LA wasn't gonna be? able to score any goals and vegas was just gonna sweep the series like i thought we decided that vegas wasn't actually good and they were just a fluke i guess not that was like october oh. get with it god damn don't bet against vegas big mistake i'm still in second place though so you know the the two rightful people are on the top we'll see if ben and jade can catch up as the playoffs continue no you're in third <laughs> I'm in, what's that definitely you're in third elon bradley's in second 
Sorry, Brian, you interrupted Jade. Oh, I'm sorry, Jade. Go ahead. person live show is tricky. Wow. I was just going to say, Ben and I have a, have a strong two-player roster <laughs> carrying on. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> Jade, I thought that your plan was going to be you had these guys like Giroux and McKinnon that would at least carry you to like first place after the first round, and then you'd just see if you fall off once your players got eliminated. Now you've got quite the steep hill to climb. But all right, Brian, you're right. Okay, let's get going. Anyways, we can't talk about it. She's got her uh, Winnipeg Jets shirt. Jets, hey, man. Clear, cleared out the first round. Minnesota didn't have a chance. We'll get into all that. Well, let's focus on the couple thing. Uh, let's also mention, by the way, they're presented by DauberHockey.com. They're also with you forever. You're never going to get rid of them. It's the top site for everything fantasy hockey. You guys know the articles every day, even throughout the playoffs. They've got all the tools. DauberHockey.com. Brian, also, I wanted to ask you one question before you start. You wrote on our patron like, uh, Discord chat yesterday. We're doing all kinds of crazy things with technology. You were saying how you want to cheer for the Leafs, but you don't want to be around happy Leafs fans. What does that mean? Isn't that like half of our listeners? I don't know. I hadn't considered that. That was just for the privacy. No, I'm just kidding. Um, what is I don't it? know. Like- I've... I, I mean, I'm on record as saying I hope the Penguins win the Cup this year just so there's not another fan base that turns insufferable or does not have the right to turn insufferable. Uh, so that's that's where I'm coming from. And, like, Leafs fans are just, like, so... Like, sw- the, the, the swing in momentum is just so insane. Like, it stresses me out to go from, like, so high to so low so quickly. And it's usually one or the other. Like, it's rarely a measured take so i know if the leafs do succeed it's going to be all out bonkers and uh i mean especially living in ottawa that's uh that can be a hard thing to take sometimes oh man i don't know i went to a bar yesterday for game six such a fun time everyone was delightful and brian sounds like a bit of a stereotype i don't know i don't no, think for all the, for the record the <laughs> i am looking for a a pro Le- a leafs friendly place to go watch game seven because i think it will be time to part oh, it will be fun to partake in their joy, it's just a matter of uh, of how much of it I can take. Okay. I'm a curmudgeon. Remember? I'd love to see how you would act if the Sens won the cup. If you would set a good example for all these other fan bases that become no, I, I'm a terrible fan. I think I'd be like very measured and be like, okay, well that was fun. Like that, that's it. Like yeah. I, I respect anyone who is like so deep into their teams. I just like sometimes it just look. It was a generalization. It wasn't fair. I love Lisa. I want everyone to be happy. Can't um, all thirty-one teams win? I wish. Maybe we should set up a league that works like that. Okay. Anyways, I don't know why I just brought that up. Just to have a little chit chat before we get down to the serious business. But it is time. So I'm just gonna basically throw the show here to Ben and Jade and guys. Like, take it away. I'm really excited to hear who won these, what these awards are, and who won them. And then I guess Brian and I will give our takes as we go. Sounds Hell good. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I love year in review kind of thing. So, um, I thought it would be fun to come up with some awards to kind of reflect on the season. Um, and I messaged Ben about it and he was into it. And then we messaged Brian and he was into it. So here we are. Um, got a whole variety of awards. Some came from the survey. Some came from our own data nerding ourselves. Um, yeah, Ben, you want to take it away? Yeah, for sure. So the first award that we did uh, or that we thought of was the we called the Payday Award. This is for the boldest move in the cupful that paid off. And the winner of the Payday Award. Oh, wait. This is nominees. This this is too much information. I mean, okay. this is very exciting. Um, That was not that was not too much information. Ben was (laughs) building up. 
Jake set the table. Ben was ready to to serve dinner. I know. I want to get in the way. I want to take a moment to digest this. So first of all, what these awards have a name, right? Like this is an awards show. Oh yeah, there's an award. Awards, yeah. No, no. Didn't you say before that you had a name for these specific awards that we're giving out? (laughs) Yeah, these are called the Cuppies. The Cuppies. A wonderful name that we put a lot of thought into. I love it. Okay. And so you're going to have a bunch of awards. Okay. No nominees. You're just going to tell. So the biggest move that paid off. So you're saying a move like a trade or a, or a free agent ad, just something that someone did and you guys decided which one you thought was the most like ballsy move. Yeah. I mean, some of them, there's like some good uh, nominees or runners up that maybe we'll bring up as we go through, but some of them is just like, it was very obvious what the answer was. Okay. I'm ready. I'm yeah. sorry, guys. I'm ready now. No, I'm glad you're ready. So the first Cuppy Award for... Cuppy in History Award. Yeah. Wow. This is a big one, guys. Uh, yeah. Uh, the Payday Award goes to Jeff Good uh, from Tier 2 Binghamton. And his move was trading Patrick Kane for Joe Pavelski and Pekka Rene. Okay. Wow. <laughs> Even just Joe Pavelski straight up. Although Pavelski slumped for a while. But Patrick Kane was not Patrick Kane this year. I guess the real return was Pekka Rene, and then Joe Pavelski was the cherry on top. Yeah, and I mean, the way that Pekka played in the Cupful playoffs is, like, pretty hard to get production like that. Wait, this is sarcasm, right? He was terrible at the end of the season. I think that Jeff was complaining that Pekka Rene cost him his championship after carrying him all season long. I played him in the semifinals, and he got, like, two or three shutouts on me and, like, almost wrecked my season for sure, though. He right. had, like, some. He definitely showed up at part, like for a while. Yeah. yeah, he he Pecorine single handedly won uh like uh, definitely a couple weeks down the stretch. And remember our playoffs were for anyone wondering, the, the playoffs in the cup full because we pride ourselves or, or we take it very seriously. They're two week matchups. So our playoffs started in mid February. And uh Pecorine started mid February with a nine forty one, nine seventy one, and one thousand save percentage. That's that's a shutout. Um over the last like I don't know. Uh, we're looking at the last 17 games of the year. Rene was 13, 4 and 0 with a 931 save percentage and three shutouts. And his last two games, I don't know if he cost Jeff the finals. I, I'm not seeing how, because like he was pretty stellar. Although he had like a couple 800 performances, like right when our finals would have been. But come on, he's been amazing. Yeah, he had an amazing season. Every like, Remember a couple of years ago, people were ready to write him off and say, it's time for UC Saros. I'm sure we even said on this show, like, why is it Nashville playing Saros already? He's clearly better. Rene's had a huge resurgence. I'd say he's probably the front runner to win the Vesna trophy this year. But I just remember Jeff complaining about how he lost because Pekka Rene let him down. And kind of, hey, okay. So we traded Patrick Kane, who, by the way, also... I guess with Patrick Kane, the thing is he set the bar so high himself. It's only a couple seasons ago, three seasons ago now, that he had 106 points, won the Art Ross. Last year at 89 points, then this year 76. So yeah, that is a pretty big drop of 13 points. And yeah, I guess if you could get Joe Pavelski, who had a really strong finish, probably a lot due to the uh, arrival of Evander Kane. And then also you get Pecorine, who was a stud goalie. I'll take it. Yeah, it was a swing. And also, I guess I'd be, if Jeff was here, I'd want to ask who he picked up with that extra spot or who he dropped, you know, when a two for one, it's always, it's also, I like to say when people ask us on Twitter or on Facebook, like, oh, should I trade these two guys for this one guy or vice versa? It's also like, there's no such thing as an actual two for one trade. Someone has to drop someone. Someone has to get the opportunity to add someone or maybe like bring someone out of IR. So it's fun to get the whole context of a two for one. But yeah, I guess uh, you would have maybe thought it was risky to trade Patrick Kane. But yeah, I agree. It worked out. 
I'll also add that Pecorine, fourth in the league. Okay, Philip Grubauer, we mentioned this on the last show. Philip Grubauer, like, just got enough minutes in towards the end of the year to qualify uh, in this goal saved above average per 60 viz that was put together by Sean Tierney, who is known as at Charting Hockey on Twitter. I feel like I've said that so many times over the last month, but we really, I, I like his vizes, as they're called, V-I-Z. Um, so Grubauer is at the top of the league and goals saved above average per 60 minutes. Bobrovsky's right behind him. And then it's like a big gap to third, who was Roberto Luongo, then John Gibson, and then Pecorine. So Pecorine top five in goals saved above average per 60 minutes. You could say top four if Grubauer doesn't sneak in there at the last minute. Like he does not have a lot of minutes uh, that he's played. So like that, that of course increases the chance that he wouldn't keep it up over time. Roberto Luongo also did not play a ton of minutes. So, out of the goalies who were real workhorses this year, uh, that puts, I'm really just massaging this to say how great Pecorine was. The question is for next year, uh, like this was his age 35 season. He is going to be uh, 36 in November. And it's a, uh, it's a, we, like we definitely thought he was just about finished. I remember I drafted him in the Cupful last season and was pleasantly surprised for the first half before, like he totally fell apart uh, the seasons before that, he had not been spectacular. He had one season out of those four, which was above nine ten. So it's uh, it's very interesting to see him coming on in his age thirty four and thirty five seasons, especially with so many NHL games under his belt. He's already he's already up to uh, almost next year. He'll get his six hundredth career start somewhere in the middle of the season, assuming he's still number one, which he's definitely positioned himself to be. Um, yeah. Elon, what do you think, though? Like, a 76-point forward for a a stellar goalie who only contributes to two categories. Well, I mean, but it wasn't only for the goalie. He also got Joe Pavelski back, who pretty much did the same as Patrick Kane near the end of the season. So it was a good trade. Yeah, the end, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'll, uh, I'm, I'm really Elon, sorry to cut up. you off, but I'll just add, just for the context, that uh, the player that Jeff dropped was uh, Kevin LeBanc. Okay, so it was a clear... he increased his uh what would you say like his depth on his roster there dropping a guy who was clearly free agent fodder for most of the year aside from like one little stretch where he was good so brian i will get to goalies also more at the end when we have our our playoff jet this playoffs has been insane you mentioned grubauer and his great save percentage but he got bumped <laughs> brayden hope is back to being the starter and he's not the only goalie who uh, got bumped in this playoffs there was like eight like over half the goalies got pulled at least once it'll be fun to chat about but okay we got more cuppies to give out so congratulations <laughs> Uh, ooh, Jeff Good, Jeff auction expert Jeff Good. We'll probably get him back on the show to teach us about auctions later in the summer. Okay, the next award is to be said like Rihanna. The when I'm with you, all I get is wild thoughts. Award nice for the wildest shit that happened. <laughs> oh, all right, Sorry. Elon can't get away with that. <laughs> oh yeah, Brian doesn't let me swear. He makes <laughs> me. Uh... <laughs> You have to go put money in the cupful swear jar <laughs> when that happens. Uh, and this award goes to, from Tier 5 Anton, the Healthy Scratches, who, get this, drafted Elias Lindholm in the first round. Oh my gosh, I remember that. Which was an amazing get for McDaddy, who got Kucherov with his next pick. Oh god. Overall. And uh, just in case anyone's wondering... Lindholm finished the year with 44 points and 81 <sighs> games, which is a 44.5 uh, 
pace over a full 82 games. So do you have more information here? So you said he, he drafted Lindholm ninth overall. How did this happen? Like, that's not an auto draft. I hope that Fantrax didn't that's, do that. I'm really sad that I don't know who this is. The healthy scratches. Um, they didn't They didn't fill out the survey and give us their side of the story. So this but was the most important detail about this tra- this draft. <laughs> is that the healthy scratches made the finals of their <laughs> division. We weren't going to say that because it diminishes the seriousness of this. No, yeah, that's, know, the so. wild, that's the wild uh, <laughs> S-H-I-T. <laughs> I wish Brian wasn't here. But that's the wild stuff, right? I mean, he drafted, he gave away his first pick. Elias Lindholm, I will say, Lindholm wasn't a free agent, I don't think, all season long in my Ottawa Tier 2 division, though as I was cleaning up for all the inactive teams all throughout the year, I very often was putting bids in for Elias Lindholm as like a top free agent. <laughs> he was available in most leagues. And to get him in the first round, like really whiff there, there must have been some technical issue. I don't even know. Like maybe, oh, you know what was probably happening? I'll bet you he was filling up. You know when you're drafting, you can have your little list of players, your draft list, and just have like a bunch of people there that you're going to be able looking at. And then it takes from the top if you don't draft in time. It must have been something like that where they're like ordering it incorrectly. And then they should have, whoever was moderating that draft, by the way, that's, that's a lesson for everybody here. If you're moderating a draft, you have to be cool. Like pause the draft, give back the pick and let's go. That's terrible. But we had that chat. Like I remember when it happened live and we found out and we both discussed how like that would have been the better way to handle it. And just, just to clarify. um, Oh no, sorry. I'm not clarifying anything, but I did find the thread where we found out that um, like that it happened back in the cacopful zone. This is like October 1st. We were talking about how it was a mistake and what happened. Uh, like the person said it was an accident, acted the rest of the draft, regretted it the whole draft. But the fact that they made the playoffs is Finals. like, yeah, that is the wild part that you drafted. <laughs> first round, Elias Lindholm, Pastor Kucherov, uh, and like everybody else. And you survived to tell the tale. Brian, yeah, your internet sort of cut out there a bit. We got to hear Robot Brian, the real fantasy hockey robot <laughs> there. But yeah, he, you were saying that, yeah, he, uh, he was able to rebound. That's very impressive. So next year, Elias Lindholm, is he once again? I mean, I'm assuming we're not going to recommend drafting him first overall next year. Or but it the works. Round. But I mean, is there a, getting, or a finals getting strategy for yeah. <laughs> it worked for him. That's true. Yeah. But like, Brian, is there any light at the end of the tum- tunnel? Like, is Elias Lindholm, we thought maybe this year he could be like a sleeper candidate to maybe get 50 plus points. Like, Sebastian Ajo had a great season, 65 points in 78 games. I, like, Lindholm was there with him. He seems like a talented player. Do you think oh he'll ever gosh. be someone that gets owned for a full se- This is my question. Okay, it's not too high of a bar. Will Elias Lindholm ever be drafted and not dropped for a whole season in fantasy? <laughs> No, no. Look, I drafted Sebastian Ajo in several leagues this year, and I dropped him in all of them. So okay. if Sebastian <laughs> Ajo can't survive, then neither can Elias Lindholm. Well, obviously, there's different league depths in the couple. <laughs> you would be lap. You'd have to quit the podcast if you would have dropped Sebastian Ajo in the. I got couple. Sebastian Ajo off of waivers in the couple. What? Yep. Yeah, he <laughs> was. You, Elon. I don't know if you remember. He was ice cold at the start. Like the classic, is Carolina like just not going to score goals this year? Sort of thinking that has happened. I mean, the thought we've had about Sebastian Ajo, or sorry, about Elias Lindholm himself. I'm just looking it up over his first nine games, which is like three weeks, which is an eternity at the start of the season when you're watching like all these uh, fresh faces churn through free agency. It's like, oh yeah, I got to pick up 
I don't know, Kyler Yamamoto or whoever, Alex Petrangelo, although he shouldn't have been available. Um, Aho in his first nine games, no goals, four assists. That's all. And then uh, he suddenly went on fire, but he didn't score his first goal till game 16 of the season. So from someone who that's like what we were expecting to see from him. And then like he went on a short run. Like, I don't know if you're like the pain as having been a Sebastian Ajo owner this year. And like I dropped, added, dropped, added several times. He had a run shortly after he finally woke up where he had five points in 14 games. And then he sort of uh, turned it on and kept it on the rest of the way. But Elias Lindholm, even with that, was still a 44-point guy, which is, I mean, okay. You say you, you're saying Elias Lindholm is done. Sebastian Ajo, I feel like next year, a lesson is that even if he slumps, he's clearly a very talented player who was able to basically be a point-per-game guy after a slow start or close to it. And so hopefully no one will make that mistake again. That There's a reason why Jade won her cupful division, and the person who dropped Sebastian Ajo, I'd imagine, didn't make the playoffs. There's a lot of why I won my cutful division. <laughs> Would you like to? I, I feel like you have as many reasons for why you won as Elon does for why he lost last year. I, just, you know, I drafted drafted perfectly, made the perfect uh, free agent ads. That's funny. Yeah. I feel like the, the perfect like amount I... of, of free agent budget. Yeah, yeah. Of course. <laughs> I feel like I made a lot of mistakes this year. I'm surprised that I that I won. I still am regretting every time Matt Duchesne would do well, I'd be like, oh, why did I? I dropped. Okay, maybe this is almost as bad as dropping Sebastian Ajo, right? I dropped Matt Duchesne and, and it killed myself all year long. It's I, worse. Which one? Dropping Matt Duchesne. It's worse than dropping Sebastian. Oh, that's just because you are someone who dropped Sebastian Ajo, <laughs> who's the top player on the team. But we'll talk about Carolina a little bit later on. They've got a, a coaching but bill peters is gone so yeah and maybe i'll chat about it then but i just like you said you just paraphrased me into saying elias i said elias lindholm is done and i'm not i'm not ready to say that like he's 23 and a half years old so like he's given us four years of pretty much garbage but there's still a chance that as he really hits the the middle of his prime especially if he ends up on the top line with a new coach who likes him uh then that 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 could spell good news but I am like I and the rest of the fantasy hockey world are pretty tired of waiting on him. I don't know. Also, Brian, you're being a little salty today. Like, uh, like Lindholm was like over a half point per game. He wasn't garbage. He was definitely worth owning in deep Elon, leagues. <laughs> Elon, 44 points in 81 games. He is three points over three, three and a half points over okay. being a point per game player. I mean, That's nothing. I would say like Tommy Wingles is garbage. Elias Lindholm was anyways, whatever. I weren't picking. Let's go to the next copy. <laughs> Actually, this is a perfect conversation for a segue into it because the next Kukupi is awarded to kind of like the most regrettable thing. Uh, So this one we called the Peter Chiarelli Memorial Award for (laughs) most bad trade. (laughs) And this one is, it's a bit of a two-parter, but it starts with a a trade that went down on November 11th uh, in Tier 3 Boris. Bangers Embrace traded his Tuka Rask and Mikhail Sergachev for Scott Darling. Ooh. Oh, no. And so the numbers on that trade before the deal, Darling had 11 goalie points and a 9-10 save percentage. Rask had eight goalie points and a 9-0-3. So you can kind of see, all right, there's a little bit of, like, why you would do the trade. There's a little bit of rationale there. Uh, after the trade, Rask went for 68 goalie points and had a 9-20, and Darling obviously had 22 with an 881. This trade is bad, but unfortunately, a week later, 
Bangers and Brace went on to trade his Marchand, Wierenski, and Simmons for Braden Holtby, Marlowe, and Rasmus Ristolainen. Oh, no. Okay. Oh. Yes. <laughs> wait, so wait, the guy who got, the, the team that got Rask. Darling was that the team that also got Marlowe and Holtby? Yes. So they ended up with Darling, Holtby, Ristolainen, and Marlowe in exchange for Rask, Sergachev, Marshand, Wierenski, and Simmons. Okay, so please don't tell me this person also made the finals. This person must have lost, <laughs> right? Finals, no. Okay. So, okay, just a uh, quick thing to, uh, to just explain. When you said goalie points, for those who aren't in uh, fan tracks playing with these complex categories, goalie points basically like two points for a win and then a point for like an overtime loss. So basically when you said like 60-something goalie points for Tuka Rass, it's like 30-something wins. Man, and Scott Darling, <laughs> have we said it enough how huge of a bust he was, by the way? I feel like we must have at this point. I mean, you've definitely rubbed it in, but to to just balance it out a little bit, you were you were saying it was the end of Tuka Rask at this point. And like it was a, a certainly unnerving start for him. He found his mojo eventually, but like you were not giving him I think you were giving him less of a chance at the time than Scott Darling of recovering and being a fantasy-relevant goalie. Yeah, I don't disagree. There was even that stretch where people were rushing to grab Anton Kudobin, who was getting some starts. On uh, your yeah. advice. Sorry. Okay, we. Okay, I could say things <laughs> you got wrong about goalies too, Brian. Should I mention Carey Price? Or should, let's just, But anyway, yeah, like goalies were crazy this year. And Rask was so weird because last year also at the end of the year, he fell off and wasn't doing well. And then he started this year not well. I was like, well, who was to think he was going to be able to get this like all-star form back? It was insane. And now he's been great in the playoffs as well. Um, yeah. But anyways, that's anyways. Okay. So, and then this next trade, there are some smart things. Trading Sergachev was smart, right? Like the person foresaw that Sergachev wasn't going to be to keep up how well he was doing. Fortunately, he just got darling back for him. I'm trying to find a, a silver lining here. I mean, I think the backbreaker here is Marchand, like, like leaving. Like, that's like, honestly, the rest seems like reasonably forgivable, especially if you expected Braden Holtby to like be reasonably good and Scott Darling to still like take a chance. Maybe they thought Rask was done too, but Marchand going away in the deal really, like, Wierenski didn't have a, like, this actually like has a lot of players in it who did not live up to expectations we have Wayne um, Simmons. Simmons like who ended up and Wierenski and Simmons also ended up in like worse deployment situations than we would have expected and we were probably like I'm trying to remember back in November we're a month into the season if we were holding our breath expecting them to get back and Wierenski we definitely were I can't remember about Simmons um so like you know I can't say it was totally unreasonable but at the same time, uh, like yeah, like Marchand alone just tilts it so far away. What was the what was the what's the what award are we talking about again? Like what, what did this team win? This is the Peter Torelli Memorial Award for right. most bad trade. Right. I should point out also to maybe give it some credence for trading Marchand. I believe he was injured and like not scheduled to come back for like a month or something. Like Marchand was injured at the start of the year, if you recall. Yeah, he was injured, then he was suspended, and then he was injured again. It was, like, really annoying to own him. Yeah, but pretty amazing to own him when he was playing <laughs> it. And Jade, so I'm making fun of people who drafted a Scott Darling, and you apparently, that was one of your moves. You drafted Scott Darling. Your perfect draft included drafting Scott Darling, and you still won. I saw it all coming. I took him late. 
And I was like, I'm just going to add the hot free agent, Cam Ward, uh, when it's his turn to start. <laughs> that's what, what brought me to victory. So, Well, yeah. the thing, a really savvy fantasy owner knows that Cam Ward is going to have a stretch of like four to five good games in a row, maybe three or four times throughout the year. And all the rest will be garbage. But if you could get that, those sweet, sweet Cam Ward starts, you could ride him and do pretty well. Yeah, if you play the lottery, if you play Russian roulette with Cam Ward, things could turn out well. Yeah. They I guess could you- also turn out very gory. So what's going to happen next year for Carolina? Or I guess we don't, we'll talk about it with the coach. Okay, put put a pin in this. I want to talk about their goalies and if the coaching change is going to help anything or is it going to be another season where no one's going to want to own any Carolina goalies? You know, Ian in our Facebook group keeps saying how Carolina is like the best team in, in the league and it's crazy how they keep losing. I guess a lot of it must just be, at least according to Ian, I'd imagine this terrible goaltending. Can't catch a break. If you can't stop a puck, you can't win a game, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's an Elon quote right there. <laughs> Put that on a t-shirt. Needlepoint that. <laughs> All right. L- All right. W- what's next? Next award. Ooh, this is a big one. All right. The Netflix and No Chill Award for the craziest trade goes to... Okay, I'm going to write this down. Why? Wait. I'm, I'm failing to make the connection between... No chill. Like, am I just not understanding how how the cool people are using the word chill these days? This is a a joke for two people. Uh, (laughs) It's a pun on blockbuster. Blockbuster. It's a blockbuster deal. Oh, okay. Okay, Okay, so I like it. Yeah, it's also no chill because it's very controversial. It is the, and I quote from the survey responses... The Brian Com swindling. Ah, I know where this is going. 2018 in the one and only Tier One Sweden, where the Flamingos, who is Brian, traded real bacon, Joe Thornton and John Tavares for Eric Carlson and Nathan McKinnon. Hey, I also so, sent Jordan um, Eberle. I'm not done. Yeah, oh, sorry. that was irrelevant. Um, <laughs> Several people in the survey responses commented on how this was borderline vetoable or also vetoable. So, Brian, would you like to defend yourself? <laughs> hey, before Brian has to defend himself, he's trading with someone who's in tier one. You gotta hold. The, you gotta give these people a bit more of a of a rope, right? You can't veto a trade of someone who knows what they're doing. And Elon, as commissioner, like you were, it all fell to you. I, I, you could probably enlighten us more. I, I remember. Like, I actually, I want to bring up our chat logs because you were definitely apprehensive at the time, like about this deal. Like you wanted me to like make it sweeter or something. The thinking at the time was that uh, Eric, like Carlson was terrible. uh, And like the rumor was that he was playing injured. And so like that was that was taking on a, a reasonable amount of risk. John Tavares was on fire. Now, like I had identified him as like two on fire. But also, like, having the season of his life in a contract year, uh, like, what, like, it, it felt like it was, a, like, a fair price to give up. And then Nathan McKinnon, I did not expect to keep doing what he was doing. Um, here's some inside info. I actually asked for Leon Dreisaitl before I got McKinnon. And uh, Real Bacon w- chose to give me McKinnon instead, thinking, obviously, the same thing I was, was that, like, Colorado might not be that good and McKinnon cannot keep up whatever pace he was on, uh, but he turned out to be incredible. Yeah, it turned and out Joe Thornton got injured in like February or something or January. 
So that yes. was really unfortunate for them. Thornton was doing really well, but even when Joe Thornton does well, he's still not super valuable in the cupful just because he doesn't give you any shots. He like is below replacement value in shots. You could do better by having a free agent there. But yeah, I feel like Brian in those chat logs, like near point per game. I think one of the, one of the problems like was because I got Thornton with like an early fab bid and then I flipped him for a package involving Carlson. Right. Well, what I was just going to say is I'm pretty sure in our chat logs, that was before, I think at first it was basically Carlson for Tavares. And I think that's where I was a little bit apprehensive. Once uh, you found out that you were going to get McKinnon thrown in, I can't imagine. But either way, obviously a big win for you. And like, you know, we have a rule in like a couple. If anyone thinks a trade should be vetoed, they just have to contact myself. Uh, and usually it's both of us, but in a case where one of us is involved in the trade, you contact the other person. I don't recall anyone contacting me and asking for that trade to be vetoed. Otherwise, I would have done a more serious investigation. But obviously, the person who made this trade with you, Real Bacon, had no faith in Eric Carlson bouncing back. And obviously, he proved everyone wrong. And I feel like even going into next year, people don't even realize how much Eric Carlson bounced back. People also don't seem to realize how much Brent Burns bounced back. Just speaking of these defensemen who were like the top guys drafted going to drafts, you know, this year, and then at the end of the year, you know, or uh, points were disappointing, but like Brent Burns was one of the top defensemen led the league in shots after December, like all this great stuff. And Eric Carlson also was great. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of, obviously you won't be able to pull off this trade next year, but I still am interested to see if Carlson will be discounted. I guess the big question mark here also is like John Tavares. And if like he slowed down a little bit at the end of the year, now we don't even know what team is going to be on next year. I, I found our chat log, by the way, Elon. You were hesitant, especially when it was dry sidle because like he was slumping. He still did not have a power play point at this point of the season. Like that was a, it was a terrible first couple months for him. Uh yeah. You said that's the difference. You said uh you think you would like I said Tavares, Thornton, Eberly for Carlson and McKinnon. Like, should I do it? You said, I think I would. It could be close. Oh, wow. I just, I just want to like, it was not uh, like, it definitely looked awful in retrospect. Like, cause it it really, really, really worked out well for me, especially with like when Tavares was slumping towards the end of the season too. But uh, the swindle was not intended to happen. I I still like, I still stand behind the fact that taking on Carlson at that point, like regardless of the huge upside, no one, like he was, he was out there. Uh, like it was a lot of risk to take on. There were a lot of people who who were trying to offload that, not just in this league, in other leagues I was in too. That's fair. Like, I mean, I guess there was some people theorizing, like you said, that he might've still been injured. Maybe he'd get shut down at some point. Anyways, anyway, okay. This was worth discussing. I hate how you called me out here when I wanted to act as if I knew all along that it was going to be amazing. <laughs> I still said to take the trade, but uh, yeah, <laughs> that's fair. And also people you should know, I won't name names or give specifics. There was a time late, like right by the trade deadline where Brian was offered a trade that would have been like a similar, if not better swindle. And Brian didn't take it just because he didn't want to cause controversy. That's what kind of owner this guy is. He could have even won by more. Thanks. uh, I I had forgotten about that, but I I hope that helps. uh... You remember the players involved? It would be fun if you didn't. Tell me. Uh... Okay, you don't. I, the, no, the the crux of it uh, was Nicholas Backstrom for Miko Koivu. Oh yeah, but they also I think they wanted my Ryan Alice or something. So that that was that was a part of the deal also. Well, that's not that much of a swindle then. I remember it sounded worse. Anyways, okay, well, you could look into this and maybe look at your trade offers or something. Oh, Let's it was to- it was their Backstrom and Sergachev for my Alice and Koivu. 
Yeah, well, Nicholas Backstrom is obviously a level above Miko Koivu, who I think Miko Koivu you got as a free agent, and he would have yeah, been really good a couple years ago. He became a free agent again shortly after I, I turned that down. How about Nicholas Backstrom in the playoffs, though? I think he went in the last round of our couple winners pool, and he is among the leaders, like behind the Penguins, who are at the top. Nicholas Backstrom is right there. Washington versus Pittsburgh once again. And we'll see if Nicholas Backstrom proves to be one of the best picks in the draft if Washington could finally get by the Penguins and get through the second round. Jade's got to go, but that's okay. Ben, are you ready to present the next Kakuppi Award? Is it Kakuppi or Kakuppi? I guess that's the whole thing with the Kakupful is the cool people say Kakupful, but it's easier to say Kupful. Same thing, right? Yeah, but I'm going to call it the Kakuppies, I think. It just, uh, it's got a more fun uh, tone to it, I feel. Okay. Um, so, yeah, the next Kakupful Award is actually, or Kakuppi. God damn it. <laughs> uh, the next Kakuppi is actually named after a patron in the chat right now. Uh, we're calling this one the Dave Benton Award for hashtag blow your fab. And Ooh. this award is going to Analytics Anonymous, also from Tier 1 Sweden. This was voted on by like three or four different people. And Analytics Anonymous bid $59 on Tristan Jari on November 28th <laughs> and then dropped him on December 16th. In that time span, Jari went three and two and had a 927 save percentage. So it was a, a serviceable ad, but definitely a blow your fab moment. Yeah. So yeah. again, maybe we should just give the context here for the people who don't play in the cupful. A lot of people don't play in leagues that use this. So in cool leagues like ours, we use this system called the free agent acquisition budget, where instead of just being able to pick up a free agent whenever you want, we have an auction once a day and people make a bid and everyone starts the season with a hundred dollar budget. So bidding 59 of your hundred dollars, most players who get added go for like one, two, like even $0 often will get you the player you want. So to throw 59 at Tristan Jari, who ended up getting sent down to the minors by the end of the season, Obviously, a big fab blow. That was definitely the big, bigger than anything that happened in my division. I think the biggest fab bids were uh, Ian got Will Butcher early, and that did seem really good for a while. Then near the middle of the season and approaching the end of the season, it looked really terrible because Sami Vatnin came in and was getting all the points for New Jersey defensemen. But then by the end of the year, Will Butcher took over, and he was actually really good. But unfortunately, Ian was eliminated. And then another big fab bid I recall is, of course... That guy, oh, my name, my brain, my name, my brain is blanking right now. What was that guy who started in Vegas and everyone thought it would be really good and then last? Shipachov, yeah, he went for like twenty three dollars when the person who had him finally got tired of him not even playing, decided I'm just going to drop this guy, and then he got added, and then I'm sure dropped soon after when he got sent back to the KHL or didn't get sent back, he chose to go back. I'll add some context from an analytics anonymous, like was in a a pretty dark spot in the standings. And I think this was supposed to be a big dice roll. Now, like clearly there was, I'm pretty sure there was a, a misunderstanding or, or a miss uh, misreading of the situation. I think that's how much. So like to spend essentially 60% of your budget to add free agents uh, gone with Tristan Jari is tough. There was a question at the time also whether Matt Murray was going to return or not, but it was a, a huge gamble that didn't pay off. Ben, I'm wondering, like, did you, I, I was curious, that was my, like, I answered that on the survey, but I was curious to hear what were the other comparable blow fab moments? Do you, do you have any handy not to put you on the spot? Uh, ben is in the bathroom now. <laughs> oh, Jade. Do you know if there, you guys, do you happen to know? 
there wasn't any like really exciting ones. The ship shove one was like the other probably most notable one. But with this very small sample size, I think the lesson learned was that none of these really big bids actually worked out. It was all the kind of smaller um, ones. Like everyone commented in response to that, like there weren't any good $15 plus ads, except for my Sebastian Ajo ad, which was $15. Yeah, that's really smart. Like that. That's the thing I think with Fab, like if you're trying to nail that goalie after a goalie injury, it'd be interesting to look back and see how often that pays off. Even like Carter Hutton, who probably didn't even go for a lot of Fab because sort of no one believed in him until it was too late and he got added already for like a dollar or two. But like he, by the end of the season, wasn't working out. So it's tough. Yeah, it's when those star players like Brian, how you say you got Joe Thornton, who was slumping at the start of the year, but is like a top line, top power play guy. I know Peter hates it when I say top line, top power play. But, uh, you know, like those kinds of bits are Sebastian Ajo, same thing. That's where you know that you're going to cash it. And like, to, by the way, that uh, time that Tristan Jari got added and people were worried about Matt Murray, that's also around the time that I made my bet for the Pittsburgh Penguins to win the Stanley Cup with amazing odds and uh, looking pretty good right now through round yeah, one. You're very excited about that bet. If the Penguins win the Cup, I'm done with this podcast. I don't need it. I'm, in, I'm too rich. Yeah, if I, the Penguins win the Cup, I'm also done with this podcast because I hate the Penguins. <laughs> <laughs> you frag that was a good point you made, Elon, though, about like, or was it Jade? Yeah, no, it was, I think it was definitely Jade, where you said some of the big, like the biggest free agent wins for the most part were like, like the more conservative ones. Like if you find the right guy for like three, four, six bucks, like I found like that was my sweet spot for being able, like when I was really competing for someone and that that's what I'd win them on. My, like my biggest splash, I think this season Aside from Josh Bailey with all my remaining fab, and then he did nothing and got injured uh, like in the last week of the season. Um, aside from that, it was Henrik Zetterberg, who I spent 12 bucks on, and like he was awful. Like he didn't do much at all for me. So uh, I like I'm biased against spending more than $10 for that reason. But like if, if you nail your smaller, like just as in any league, like if you make the right ads at the right times, it's going to help you. And it doesn't take a whole lot of, uh, whole lot of budget or, or pushing people around to necessarily get your way yeah like i mean sometimes it just pays off to hold your fab like for me it was huge for me probably one of the reasons why i won and this is not a brag this is just like for advice or something like i had eight dollars left going into my finals and my opponent anthony had zero dollars left and patrick hornfist had been dropped like the day before the finals started just because the he wasn't playing and some other team was you know fighting for their life trying to make it to the finals and so i got a one dollar patrick hornfist and that's why one of the big reasons i won my finals i had this like free ringer who pretty much got me all the shots i needed like power play points whatever and if you blow all your fab on tristan jari you don't have the opportunity to maybe get some ringers at the end. Like there's a big advantage to having more. That's the strategy of it, right? You have all season long, you have to make the playoffs. You don't want to miss out on the shining stars, but at the same time, I really do think that there is an advantage. I know Dave might disagree, but I think there's an advantage to being in the finals or the semifinals and having more money than your opponent. You get that, you know, you get to choose which player you want over your opponent. Not only are you getting the player, but you're keeping that player out of your opponent's hands, which is really huge. Yeah, I was just going to say, um, I actually didn't have more money left in the finals than my opponent, but we were pretty close. Um, but I had a lot going into semifinals, and that was really helpful. Like, no stress to add. Um, but this is a brag. And I got um, Sam Reinhart for $1 more than my opponent. And then he got that hat trick that really 
helped me with that matchup. So nice. that's the money left. Yeah, but someone like Reinhardt is a great example of what you were saying before. And Brian, like, you didn't have to spend a lot of money to get Sam Reinhardt. He was like uh, 13 bucks on him. It was after um, he went on that nice run, but only had like two games in that week. So, like, everyone oh, was I see. Adam, but sure. then- so- I'm referring more to people who initially got to, like Sam Reinhardt was a free agent in a lot of leagues, like uh, for the start and for the first few months. And then he just went, got rolling. Like, and it was after Eichel was injured and he just couldn't go a game without getting a point. And at some point he was at it, but I'll bet you all these people who got him, got him for pretty cheap early on. It was just whoever decided to roll the dice early and like decide to believe, okay, I think he's in a good spot. I think he'll do well. But yeah, obviously at the end, then if he got dropped, then you have to spend big money. But I'll bet you all the people who got Sam Reinhardt at the start of that run, got him for a buck or two. Very interesting, the fab strategy. Maybe we we need to find some fab expert. I, maybe we're the fab experts. We won our leagues. Or I don't know. Uh, we need to find someone who is a self-proclaimed fab expert just so we can have credentials to get him to retweet the episode. But it'd be fun to talk about just like through all the different strategies that go into it because we've all just been sort of figuring out as we go along. How many more cuppies do we got? We're almost done. We got... Well delivered, Elon. Two left. <laughs> that was a very natural do we got. Three. Ooh. You know oh, what? Three. Yeah. Brian, we forgot to mention our sponsor for this week's episode. Oh, good point. So why don't we just take a break from the Cuppy Awards? Aren't you disappointed, listener of the podcast, that you weren't able to get into the Cuppy Award show? It was too exclusive of a ticket. You had to be a couple winner that messaged Brian and I last week. But there's a lot of other tickets that you can get, and even tough to get tickets. Going to see the Leafs game yesterday in the Air Canada Center, that's why t- that was sold out for months, but you were able to get that ticket and many others over at our sponsor for this week's episode, which are our friends over at SeatGeek. Okay, you go to SeatGeek, you look up where you want to go, and they're going to show you all the tickets. You could rank them by values. You could choose if you want to get you know, the cheapest ticket. You could rank by what's just the best deal. You could also just like browse around. It's really great to take out the app. It's like, oh, I kind of want to go to a concert. I want to go to a hockey game. I mean, hockey games, you probably know what games are going to be in town, but it's pretty fun. Just take out that app, browse around. That's what I love to do with SeatGeek. I do that quite often. You never know what you're going to find. And of course, with the hockey playoffs going, if you would be lucky enough to live in a city where your team is going to the second round, what better way to give a gift, like on a Mother's Day, Father's Day type thing, or whatever it's going to be, like what a better present than a playoff hockey ticket. Brian's laughing at me now, but I think I'm nailing this advertising (laughs) read. So I'm just going to keep going and say that not only can you get great value and a great experience using SeatGeek, but you could even get an extra amount off your purchase just because you're listening to our podcast. I love the gift angle, Elon. And if you're a thrifty gift giver, this is for you. You can save $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase ever with the promo code KEEPING. All you need to do is download the app or go to the website, enter the promo code KEEPING, and you will receive $20 credit on your very first SeatGeek purchase. Elon, I'm going to see Stars on Ice with the (laughs) in-laws in about five days. You better believe uh, Scott Moore and Tessa Virtue will be there and uh caitlin mcdermott is that her name those no. your skaters yeah elvis stoiko oh i know elvis he's the first one to do a quad <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm gonna see him live what? and i can use seat geek to buy tickets for that but i didn't buy the tickets. don't but say the person that. bought them as a gift <laughs> oh i well, see no like i i looked I, I browsed SeatGeek. It was so easy and i was able to tell the person right. what a reasonable what a good price for a good seat would be 
Cool. Okay. I thought at first you said you were going to see Stars, and and I didn't hear the end of it first. And I was thinking, oh, that's like what is it, t- twenty years ago? They were a really good band back in the day. But okay, twenty stars years are, ago. Well, I don't know how long ago was Stars popular. When did Set Yourself on Fire come out? Uh, like two thousand four, two thousand five. They're doing their farewell tour right now. It's very topical. Oh. oh. Well, if you want to get tickets for, okay, we're done this advertisement. But okay, <laughs> let's go back to the Kakapi Awards. Uh, what do we got next? Okay, the next award is the Derek Ryan Award for the most completely average team. <laughs> According to that awesome list that data nerd Chris F. posted in the Kakupful Zone. Um, and this team goes to, or this award, sorry, goes to UC in the Shea with Desjardins, tier three for Linda, uh, who had 238 goals which actually I'm not going to read all the stats that in <laughs> but it was uh, out of everyone. He was the closest to the average roughly um, in all of the stats. So the also in the middle tier. Wow. Oh, good point. Okay. So can you just tell us, I'm curious to know like what players make up an average team. I want to know, like, do you have that available? Maybe I can find it. Yeah. I just a second. Sit on okay. a uh, so, and I'd also be curious to know how this person actually wound up in the standings. Because, of course, the thing with a head-to-head league is you could have average stats and you could end up doing really well or doing really badly just by getting lucky. And in the weeks where you have a lot of goals, you happen to be against somebody who doesn't score as much and vice versa. Like, you could get lucky with your matchups or you could just be the type of person who's really good. Like, I don't even say lucky because you could be really smart and add that blocks guy right when you need him. Like, you don't need to have a team of uh, amazing blockers to win blocks every week. You just, like, when you need it, when you see it's going to be close, go grab a couple free agents. So I'd be curious to know if this completely average team was able to have above average results. I think it depends a lot on the owner. So the answer to that question, Elon, is that this owner finished 8th out of 14th, so pretty much dead even. And uh, yeah, they had like, I'm just going to read the 50-point players they had. They had JT Miller, they had JVR, uh, I'm not, Chris Letang is 50 points, but from a defenseman, that's pretty good. Um, Nick Bugstad had 49 yeah, that's pretty average overall. <laughs> wow. I mean, it takes some skill to be that average. If I attempted to be that average, I'm not sure I'd succeed. I wonder what's, what is technically harder, to be the, the, the most average team or to be the champion? It's well, I feel... <laughs> what's that, Jade? Harder to win. Yeah, I think so too. I feel like because if you're doing well, you can lose a bit on purpose and bench some players to make your numbers more average. If you're doing badly, it's hard to just all of a sudden make up that difference. So it is hard to be average. Hey, there's 204 teams or something in the couple this year. One of them had to be the most average. And what would be really interesting would be if this owner is able to do it again next year. Then we'd have to start taking notice. <laughs> all right. Uh, great team name, by the way. You see in the Shea yeah. with what was it? Desjardins. Yeah. Desjardins. I'd yeah, say it's a, a good team name. I think UC in the Shea is a really great start to that team name. And then Desjardins, it doesn't sound that much like Diamonds. I think you got to, I don't say I have a better one, but I feel like that ending <laughs> takes it away from me of being one of the all-star <laughs> amazing names. Maybe an average team name for an average performing team. Yeah, maybe <laughs> Duncan Simon with Duncan Simon would uh, be a better one for Diamonds. Hmm. Simons, Yeah. That's I don't it. Know. Uh, this is a perfect segue, though, so I'm going to jump in. The, our next award is the Nat Dominicelli Award for Best Cupful Team Name. All right. Um, Nat Dominicelli, a player from the 90s for uh, 
Calgary. Played on my uh, my favorite AHL team, the St. John Flames, when I was a kid. Oh, um, he, when I first bought a PlayStation uh, and I got NHL 99, uh, he was like the star for my franchise, Calgary Flames. Very exciting. Hell yeah. Brian, by Great the way, name. I have to throw this out there. Dustin in the chat room. Brian with the subtle, humble brag. Wow, it would be so hard to be average and not the best. Not sure you could do it. <laughs> that wasn't supposed to, I don't, I still don't. Is that a humble brag? I mean, I don't know. You're trying to talk about how hard it would be for you to be average. It is, it is hard for you to be average. You won your couple league tier one. You freaking are winning. Oh, my gosh. Get out of here. I don't want to talk about it. You call, call, try to call me out for humble bragging and then build me up. And soon you're just going to tell me I was wrong about something. So how about we continue with the cuppy? For the best team name? Is that but it? Thank you. Yeah, the Nat Dominicelli Award. But I didn't win anything. <laughs> no, I always thought it was Dominicelli. <laughs> We got oh, I'm going to trust that you're right, though, having been a fan of the team he played for. Although I did hear Jim Houston say his name ad nauseum. All right. Let's, yeah, uh, I mean, you've heard his name said out loud. I definitely was reading it on a program as a nine-year-old. So I feel like <laughs> we're both unreliable a little bit the, in this regard. The H is silent in Nat. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So we just uh, we compiled this one was actually done a little bit more scientifically in that Brian Jade and I voted on this one and we did a top 10 and we narrowed it down to the the top three. So I'm just going to read the top three names Uh, in number three. We had don't cry for Milan Yersina. Very good name. I think we can all agree. Number two. Good, good, uh, good meter. Yeah, it was always stuck in my head every time I saw someone post about this. <laughs> I don't know. It's okay. Give it a five. Oh, my God. <laughs> Number two, Elon, I feel like you're going to be like, you're going to like be condescending about all these ones. So I'll just jump into number two because this one actually got a boost from the team owner like describing their season to us. And it actually made a lot more sense. They auto drafted Cam Talbot. And their name was started from Talbottom. Now we're here. Yeah. Somehow also made the finals. So it's just a very good fitting team name. That was number two. I love it. <laughs> you're, just, you're just saying that you should love it. Let you, me tell you two reasons why I one, love The one Keeping Carlson episode that you named was, wasn't it like Dude Wierenski's My Car? <laughs> okay. <laughs> but wasn't it like Dude Where's My Car Renski? I don't know. It was something amazing. Zaporinsky's name into like seven pieces. (laughs) That's what makes it fun. But okay, Milan Yersina is not in the league anymore. And Don't Cry For Me, Argentina is not a popular song. So starting from top bottom while you're here meets both of the criteria that I consider to be important in a team name. Oh, that's it. Michael remembers. Dude, where? (laughs) Dude, where? I can't get through it. I don't think that was it. You know, this is an audio show. People can't. Uh, Can you say? I can. I'm, I'm trying to say. Michael is saying that I called it Dude Wearing My Skis, but I don't think I called the episode that. Oh, I'm pretty sure you wanted to. All right. Well, uh, what, what's the number one team name? Is it the Flamingos? Yeah, it's the. Fl- no, it's not the Flamingos. <laughs> Uh, sorry, I was just checking my Keeping Carlson feed to see if I could find the full name, and Dude did not return any results, so... <laughs> Michael is confirming that 100% that was it. Yeah. Okay, that's not called confirming. Show me a link. 
I trust Michael. That's confirming. I trust Michael too. Uh, the number one team name, and I really feel like this was an example of like somebody playing to the judges. Uh, it's an Arrested Development reference. Uh, the team name is Mr. Banana Grabner. Yes. <laughs> so good. Elon's pretending to find this funny. <laughs> I remember Elon's know. Elon's hurt that we don't like dude wearing my shoes. I like it when it's a more name brand player, personally. <laughs> Michael Grabner, not on anyone's fantasy team. But I, like I mean, yeah. it's I think, but, it's, but it's so like it's it's a solid reference. It uses uh like it uses a uh sorry, solid pop culture reference. It uses a hockey name in like not uh well you know my parameters for being good name but like you know you, you don't it doesn't have to it's, it's some level of highbrow or definitely not lowbrow and like the reference it's making is so funny like anytime anyone who doesn't know from Arrested Development Mr. Banana Grabber is the character that Job creates and licenses and then tries to like peddle and sell or neg- like include in any sort of negotiation uh. I guess you had to be there. <laughs> okay. Why, why would you just recite the entire episode? To give In the first episode of Arrested Development. Now, uh, but so good. I, I would like to, like, that's something that I would like to see a picture, like the team picture to go with the name. He wouldn't. Uh, I'm trying he to wouldn't. be like the narrator, you know, like, oh, it was so good. Oh. Like, it wasn't. <laughs> good one. All right. Well, it wasn't that good because I had to like, explain it. <laughs> um, I'm thinking... Uh, J- Jade and Ben know this. I, I, at some point, I felt ambitious for whatever reason. Started ranking every team name and coming up with <laughs> like comments that I was amusing myself with. Never sure I was going to release it, but maybe I will. You'll, you'll see my own rankings in there. Um, but uh, so maybe uh, I don't know. Elon, keepingcarlson.com/slash/names. Maybe it'll be up. Maybe it won't be. No, it <laughs> will be if you send it. it to me. Well, Brian, let's just. Yeah, you'll do it. And it'll There's be some good ones, though. Can I can I rhyme off a couple others? Just a couple. Because, like, uh, to be honest, Brian, before you name them, I should say that I talked to my brother who listens to our podcast, <laughs> and he said he he turned off the last episode because we were saying team names for, like, uh, 20 minutes. I think that we've given people their fill of team names. So I don't okay. know how much longer we want to get into that. Okay. Uh, we had Good Kids Sod City. Uh, like as it stylized like the Kendrick Lamar album we had Charizard which is just so simple like yeah, you good. just just change one letter and you've got an NHL player and like I don't know Chara and Charizard seem like they like could be reasonably uh connected or yeah, related good. Good. and then uh my other top choice was in all lowercase my girlfriend is annoyed with this yeah, I like that one too yeah, yeah that was top five in our voting for sure and a glue. Oh, my top one was a glue lick, which uh, yeah. What was like that a, one? I did not understand. <laughs> I just go- I just looked it up in Inuit mythology. A glue lick is a spirit that lives underneath the ice and gives aid to fishermen and hunters. I just thought it was beautiful. That's all. <laughs> that's nice. That's another yeah. couple winner, by the way. A glue. That's a Anastasia. Glue-lick. Oh, cool. Uh, okay. So right. that was the fun. I didn't win an award, but I really enjoyed it. Last award, last award. Yeah. Okay, this is it. The final copy of the inaugural award season, 2017-2018, is the Heart of a Champion Award. No, no, this is not an actual thing, right? 
You're what? just, you're just, you know where your bread is buttered. Like this is you trying to jump a tear with no, Elon. No. Oh no, no, relax, relax. Bro. Okay, I'm getting, I'm getting upset. Elon right. wants, Elon wants this to be all about him. Don't worry. It's talk- <laughs> this goes to someone who has excellent taste in Broadway music, as I just learned from the chat. Ben, you want to announce this? Oh. <laughs> I'm announcing this because Jade doesn't trust herself to say the name. (laughs) But wait, what's the award for? For just being amazing. Heart of Gold, Neil Young. Yeah, Yeah, this one goes to a patron that uh, is near and dear to all of our hearts. Uh, This one goes to the Heart of a Champion Award. goes to Mathieu Gosselin. I hope I said that name right. What did, what did Matthew do to earn? <laughs> yeah, I'm so confused. Elon's really mad now. If you're going to make up a random award and not give it to him, you better have a good reason why. I love Matthew. I mean, I beat him in that bubble hockey game that we played when we met up in Ottawa, but I still think he's a champion. But uh, why? Uh, what did he do? <laughs> he always laugh reacts to my comments in the group. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, so he wins. Oh, the heart of the champions that work for the best patron. Yeah, he's good. We've had that question on Patreon cast. Who's the best patron? Now we have the answer. It's Mathieu. Scientifically. <laughs> we should also have a, a war for the best Ryan patron. That could be a whole separate one. There's a, there's a bunch of those. You, you, yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, well, thanks so much guys. That was a lot of fun. It was really fun, especially not even knowing the categories. <laughs> And thanks also on you guys, like, not only did you come on the show and present it, you, like, came up with your survey and you went through all the results. And I don't know if maybe we should figure out a way on the Facebook group to post the results. I should mention, to anyone who's not on this Facebook group, doesn't know what we're talking about, if you got a buck that you want to throw at us a month, you could join our Facebook group for the summer. We're doing fun stuff. We're voting on a ranking for next year. It's already started. We're, like, eight players in. I think, finally, Brent Burns is going to get drafted today, which is crazy because I've been voting for him since, like, fifth overall. But uh, that's a lot of fun. Uh, what else do we have? I don't know. That's the main thing. Join the join the Facebook group. We're going to be talking about the couple planning for next year in the Facebook group. Maybe we're going to come up with a whole bunch of different rules. So check out keepingcarlson.com slash patron if you want to support us throughout the summer. Ignore everything you see on the website. It is a buck. One dollar a month. So that's, that's, that's very little. Okay. And Elon said you could throw a buck at us. Uh, like, <laughs> you can. Like, if you give us a dollar a month, you have permission to throw a loony at us actually it would be better if it's in america that that would have a less likely chance of hurting but if you can find elon or i you also uh one perk of joining us for the summer is you can actually throw a buck at elon or i okay that was good that was good (laughs) that's elon signaling that was just a total waste of time all right so probably was with that i guess let's now transition out of couple awards and brian want to talk a little fantasy hockey so jade okay you gotta go gotta go thank you so much for having me talk to y'all later awesome yeah thanks for coming and uh yeah we'll talk to you soon good luck in the rest of your pool so who do you have left right now you have a couple jets right yeah i think it's just like lining and wheeler but whatever they can do it they can do it if anyone can do it okay go jets yeah yeah. all right bye i was saying like go jets like i want them to do well and then go jade like jade you have to go so you can't like like uh, orally roll your eyes at me for my throw a buck comment and then go and follow up with that it was a homonym uh, so two different meanings all right okay so we still have 
I want to talk about some things, okay? So I've got five topics here. This is like a five for five. If anyone listens to Rob C's like patron bonus content, he does a five for five sometimes. Me, you, we got Ben here. Number one in the five for five of things I want to talk about from most of the stuff is from the playoffs. Some of it is just conversations we've had in the Facebook group that I found interesting and I wanted to get some more of your thoughts, Brian. Number one, can we talk about these goalies in the playoffs and how insane this has all been? The, uh, these are all goalies who have been pulled in at least one game. Okay. Kincaid, Grubauer, Frederick Anderson, Elliott, and Morazic. Mar- okay. D- didn't get pulled in a game. He came in and finished a terrible game, then didn't get to play again. So he could be an honorable mention on this list. Okay. Connor Hellebuck, Pecorine, John Gibson, Dubnik, Rask. Like, what? How are there so many goals? Like, it's so funny to me that after a season where goalies were so unpredictable, now in the playoffs, most playoff pools that I've been in don't count goalies, or if they do, they just count wins. But, like, it's to me, I've never seen anything like this before. Also, Bernier got injured, so Andrew Hammond came in, and he actually won this game on the road, and then Ian tweeted at us saying that Andrew Hammond is a much better goalie than Frederick Anderson. Of course, then both of their next games ended up, you know, making an argument against that. But Brian, like any thoughts in general? Also, let me point out that there were also goalies that took over. Like so, Holpe, Schneider, and Neuwirth all stole the starting job midway through the round, which is something you don't see very often. And I guess, of course, Andrew Hammond, though that was due to an injury. Like I don't know, just any general thoughts about all of this goalie craziness in the playoffs, or is this just continuing on with what we saw in the season? Like, there's nothing more to add except to say goalies are crazy, and there's nothing you can do about it. Well, Holtby and Schneider sold the job, but the job also had belonged to them earlier in the season. So, like, I, I don't know that we can say that's, a, like, a total steal. It was more surprising that they didn't start the first game than that they stole their jobs back. Um, Neuvirth, like, if you're turning to Michael Neuvirth, oi, I did, butchered his name, but if you turn to that guy, uh, you're in trouble. And that's what the Flyers seem to really enjoy doing. So we'll see what happens with their goaltending situation in the offseason. We know Carter Hart is coming up the pipe, but I just don't know that he's going to be ready or like should be thrust in the spotlight so soon uh, until maybe the Flyers figure out. They also started leaning on like defensemen. Like they were playing Robert Hag a ton during the season, and all of a sudden in the playoffs, his ice time like it was not like they were playing their older, less capable guys. Um, okay, but to go back to not just Philadelphia. And the whole league, uh, 27 goalies saw at least, uh, I don't know, one minute. So, uh, 27 goalies appeared in the playoffs in the first round. Uh, so one that says that maybe the bridge is, the, the gap is closing between a starter and a number two. In some cases, like you said, Elon, it was goalies taking over. But in others, I feel like when I was watching playoff games, it seemed like teams were really ready to give their goalie a rest when things weren't going well. Case in point, when or or just to like shake things up in ways. That, I was really surprised when Boston. Uh, I think they went down four one to Toronto, and they brought in Kudobin over to Karask, which was like you know it was okay. He stopped all eight shots he faced and and made. I don't know. I think at least one of the saves seemed reasonably difficult, but I still don't know that he would have been any better than Tuka Rask in that position. Um, so part of me was wondering, the same thing when Devin Dubnik was pulled one night, uh, like, are you just, is this just an opportunity? Are you throwing in the towel? Is this game over? And you're just like, okay, my goalie's going to take a little break and be better next time. 
Yeah, it does seem like they were doing that. Like when a team was going down by a lot, like you're saying, they would just like bring in the backup. Like I did think also like in the Leafs game, I think it was game three when the Bruins ended up winning 7-3 and they pulled Frederick Anderson after he let in three pretty quick goals. But then like McElhenney came in and he let in the next four goals. So I, I kind of felt like probably Frederick Anderson would have done a better job. And the Leafs ended up scoring three. So I feel like they gave up on that game. But maybe it worked out because then they gave Anderson the rest or whatever, the confidence boost or whatever being pulled does for you. And now the Leafs have roared back and we're going to have a really fun game seven tomorrow. But it just, yeah, it's very interesting to see. Yeah, a lot of the goalies I mentioned aren't crappy. Like we're talking about guys who are going to the second round, like Rene and Tuka Rask or Anderson and like uh, Grubauer. Well, Grubauer is going to be the backup in the second round. But yeah, very interesting. Also regarding Philly, isn't it funny how they got Peter Morozik and he ended up doing badly? And I think Lewis mentioned in our Facebook group how also Detroit traded Thomas Tatar to Vegas and got a good slew of picks back for him. And he got benched in a game. So like Detroit, I guess they're sm- the one thing they're good at is maybe identifying who on their team isn't good and then being able to trade them and get something for them before it's too late. Like both Morozik and Tatar benched yeah. in the playoffs. It's interesting. Yeah, good for them to be able to like you know we all were all wondering like did they get enough back or like should they have held on to those guys given like this the status of their organization like maybe they were still useful but I guess uh, you know what either they really evaluated those players accurately or they got lucky. Right. It's hard to say which is which, and like we don't know that Morazic is really this bad although at this point I mean, he definitely <laughs> like he, he he needs to he needs to show something for us to really want to give him any kind of rope going forward he's still 25 this time um and thomas tatar also like you know he never i haven't seen who he played with the most in vegas but it never seemed like he saw sustained time on the top line like in a great scoring situation. So that could have been part of it. But it also, like if he wasn't earning that time and that's like they gave up a fair amount to get him. So you'd think that they would try and work him in and uh, just didn't happen. So good on Detroit for doing something right. Um, Who knows? Maybe Tatar will be a valuable depth piece for the second round against the Sharks team, which will maybe put up a bigger fight than the Kings did offensively. I don't know. But yeah, like uh, also Brian... Since we are talking about these disappointing players and like Detroit actually still has their coach. The next thing I wanted to bring up. Oh, I also want to say Ben is still here. Ben, if you wanted to say something, just like let us know, like put your hand up or something. We'll shut up and like you can come in. Brian, do you want to switch over now and talk about some of these coaches? We've actually finally had. So after the whole season, not one coach got fired. Now in the last week, we're seeing a lot of people leaving. Not like only one fired, right? Glenn Gulitson. Calgary is fired. Peters resigned in Carolina. Hitchcock retired from Dallas. So we've got three teams that are going to have new coaches. Looks like Peters is going to Calgary, but maybe we can just take these teams one at a time. Like, do you see any potential fantasy impact? Like now that, you know, I, I think that's something we discussed. I don't know if it ever really pans out too much. I like the one time I remember is when Pittsburgh fired their coach and it was like a great time to pit, pick up all the Penguins because the new coach came in and was so good and the Penguins ended up going on to win the cup. But like if we start in Dallas, do you see any reason to expect the typical guys like you know, Jason Spezza jumps out at me as someone who we thought still had some juice left and was completely useless in terms of fantasy this year and like didn't even crack the top six a lot of the time. Perhaps a new coach gives Jason Spezza another chance. I don't know. Am I just reaching here or is there a reason to expect with Hitchcock gone? We don't know who's in yet but is that good news for anyone 
I think that is good news for Jason Spezza. He was inexplicably buried with Ken, Ken Hitchcock, even when the stars needed so much help, were in dire straits. He still wasn't turning to a guy who should be a, a who should a reliable top six scorer is still at this point in his career. Not even not even getting opportunities, getting submarined with his line mates. Uh, so that could help Jason Spezza. That's a thought. My my blanket answer to all these coaching changes is that coaches don't have a huge impact on their team. Like generally, uh, an NHL coach doesn't offer a whole lot of extra wins or goals for the team they come in with. They're, they've been like there's been a lot of discussion and debate over how much impact they could possibly have. The biggest impact I think a coach can really have is on who they decide are their favorites and their least favorite players. And that's something we'll only know as the season begins. It is coming out, though, with Bill Peters leaving Carolina. One of the reasons Carolina fans appear to be happy is that he really... We talked about Derek Ryan a bunch this season. Derek Ryan was getting crazy good deployment, uh, having been essentially an AHL journeyman up until this point in his career. Did okay with uh, some really great deployment for a little while. Not in such a sustained way, though. And uh, Carolina fans are sort of suggesting that he, uh, Derek Ryan, was one of Bill Peters' guys, and he was getting play ahead of other younger players or other options who maybe should have been in those better deployment situations instead. So I don't know who Bill Peters' guy could be in Calgary now, like Troy Brower. I'm not mm-hmm. sure. He'll, he'll pick someone out of the minors. But I think that really is the biggest impact. And you find out, pretty quickly over the first few weeks, um, which, you know, which guy a, a coach is tending to like or dislike. But in, in terms of expecting a new coach to really increase the player's offense or uh, like, like increase the team's goals output or affect it significantly, I, I wouldn't really count on that a whole lot. The one place, the one player coach can have an impact on, of course, is the goalie. We saw that in Dallas somewhat with Ken Hitchcock this year, helping out Ben Bishop and Carrie Letton in. Uh, getting their numbers back up to par, trying to implement some kind of defensive system. I I believe that a defensive coach can move around the league and set up a good defensive system that will support their goalies better than they've been supported before. But I'd say that's the most fantasy relevant impact a coach can have. Well, no, but I think I agree with everything you said, except for your final conclusion, because who gets to play on the top line or whatever could give someone a huge fancy impact. Like it was the Philly coach decision to put Sean Couturier on the top line and top power play. And all of a sudden, Sean Couturier is one of the most viable players in fantasy. So that's like, I understand what you're saying, where a coach isn't going to all of a sudden be able to maybe help the team win a ton of games when the talent level on the team hasn't changed. But I think definitely for an individual player, it can make a big difference. The question is just you have to yeah. figure out who it's going to be. And all we could do right now is maybe pinpoint players who might be in line to get a better role. Like, so we mentioned Spezza on Dallas. Maybe it's too late for him. I think one guy that I'm really interested in in Carolina is Jeff Skinner, who reminds me a lot of, look at Evander Kane this year on Buffalo. Kane, like, couldn't get onto a really good line. and But especially, he never got top power play time. So you never saw any power play points from Evander Kane, even though he was valuable in other aspects of fantasy hockey, and I, I expect his team. And now on San Jose, Kane is on the top power play. His fantasy value, like, like, is huge. Like, for next year, if Evander Kane stays on San Jose, I like him a lot more than I would have in Buffalo just because he's going to get you those power play points. And maybe Jeff Skinner is the same thing. Like, he never gets on the top power play in Carolina. I wonder if 
this really clearly good goal scorer that shoots a lot. I wonder if he gets the opportunity to play with, uh, I don't know, like Sebastian Ajo and get like prime power play time. And I wonder if that can make a difference. We won't know until we see what happens, but he's a guy who I would assume is going to have his value decrease going to this year because he had a down year after scoring almost 40 goals the year before. But maybe a new coach will help him get in a better situation because I think that was a big reason why he wasn't able to repeat his season. He just like was on the third line with with Derek Ryan for a lot of the time, the guy who we've been name dropping all throughout the episode. Yeah, no, it's a good point, and that sort of goes back to to the favorites and like who a coach favors, who a coach doesn't favor, and uh, like like you know, a lot of people when there's a coaching change will get questions about what this means for certain players. All it means is that. Elon, you essentially said it. We, we look at a roster through fresh eyes and see who might be uh, a good player just in need of an opportunity and who might have been artificially getting getting more than they deserved because they were uh, their their previous coach's friend. Yeah, for sure. And then, like, I guess the other team that we would look at is Calgary, who is going to have now Bill Leaders as their coach. It seems to me like they've been rolling. Like, just looking at their lines, like, it's, I, I'd be surprised if Backlund, Tuchuk, and Froelich get broken apart just because they've been such a good line. But I know like the big change this year was the top power play where Kachuk got on the top power play. And so did Dougie Hamilton. And th- that was really great for them. It, uh, hopefully they don't revert back to TJ Brody on the top power, power play. That would seem like a big step in the wrong direction. Then of course there was like uh, Michael Furland who was on the top line, top power play for a lot of the year. And he had stretches where he really was providing a lot of fantasy value, especially in hits leagues, I guess now, like, who knows who's going to be the new guy to play with Monahan and Gaudreau, assuming Monahan and Gaudreau stay together. Is it maybe like Sam Bennett? I'm just trying to think of a name that I want to throw out there that maybe an increased role could happen with a new coach and something could happen. I'm going to throw out Sam Bennett as the potential Calgary guy who maybe he gets on the top line and has an increase in his value. He could be this year's Sam Reinhardt. Uh, ben is uh, I forgot he's wearing a Calgary jersey so Ben what's your take on Calgary who's your sleeper next year for the Flames aside from Goudreau Monaghan and Matthew Kachuk who do you see as the next best forward on Calgary well I think like of the three you just mentioned I think it's worth re-highlighting that Matthew Kachuk should have like a full season on the top power play and like I think that yeah we could be looking at like 60-65 as a new baseline for him but uh, the guy on Calgary I'm really excited about is Dougie Hamilton getting a shot at the top power play for the full season. Um, he was obviously so good since January 1st. I think for a while there, he was leading the league in goals for a defenseman. I can't quite remember. I, I haven't checked the end of the season results. Uh, one other team that I think is worth mentioning uh, when we talk about a new coach, though, is the Rangers. Um there was an interview that came out with Pavel Buknevich that was done in Russian. So it's it's been translated. But basically, he said that he played with the fear of making a mistake and having Vino bench him. And he would say he said that he played he felt like he would play like four or five, six games in a row really well. And then he would make one mistake with the puck and Vino would put him on the fourth line starting the next game. So I think that like a guy that is really interesting with the coaching changes is Pavel Buknevich. Yeah, that's a really good call. Yeah, I forgot to mention the Rangers. And yeah, Brian said all season long how like Buchnevich seems to be in the doghouse. All of a sudden, if he's not getting benched, you know, he's on the fourth line or not playing with anyone that good. So yeah, that could be huge. And like, you know, the Rangers sold some players, but they still seem to have a decent 
core of like I don't know in terms of like to be a team that's gonna be able to win a lot of games, but in terms of fantasy value, like Mika's advantage had really shown at the end of the season, especially mm-hmm. like for the last half. And like Chris Kreider was injured for most of it, but he came back and did well at the end. Zuccarello's still there, Buchnevich maybe with the new coach, like you're saying, has a chance. And then you have all these guys who just seem to get points. You don't even know how, you know, the Kevin Hayes and like now Nemesnikov is there. So there could Jesper Fast uh, out of nowhere was getting points near the end. I guess he was playing on the line with Zabanajad and Kreider. So right. yeah, it's interesting. And you guys, I mean, you've mentioned it a few times, but I feel like Kevin Shattenkirk is going to get underrated because he was injured all season. And as a power play driver, like he's somebody that we should all be looking at as a possible bargain value, like further down in the draft this year. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. I definitely think Shattenkirk is going to be because you're not going to have to pay a lot for him, so that's the best. No, you don't exactly. have, no one could get mad at us at the end of the year if we call that Shattenkirk's going to be better, and then if he isn't, so well, sorry, you, we cost you your like eighth round pick or something. <laughs> but yeah, like great chance. And Brian, you, you had to step away for a second. Ben was mentioning the Rangers also is going to have a coaching change, and they uh, he was saying how Buchnevich was, yeah. uh, you know, always in the doghouse. So great opportunity for him to maybe finally stick on a top line, top power play role. Oh, sorry, Peter, and do something really. Good. I don't know why. I'm, I'm saying that. Just, I don't know either. Just messing around. Okay. Uh, next, uh, number three of the topics, Vladimir Tarasenko had surgery. I, I, did, I should have brought this up in advance. He's going to be injured potentially like at the start of training camp. I guess we don't know. It's hard to tell with these long-term things. He went underwent reconstructive surgery on his left shoulder back at the beginning of April, and he's going to miss like four to six months, and he'll be reevaluated at training camp in September. And so, I mean, like, this is a guy who was drafted in a lot of leagues in the first round this year. I wonder if he's going to get bumped. Like, even if he didn't get injured, he had a down year, 66 points in 80 games at the end. And he is now not only coming off this, like, down year, and he's also coming off this injury. So I wonder if he all of a sudden is going to fall into a spot where he might be, like, underrated going to drafts. Like, if you could get someone like Tarasenko, like, at the end of a second round, he's still, like, sort of the key offensive driver on the team. And unless, Brian, do you have any concerns with a shoulder surgery like this, potentially hurting his ability to get back to the great player that he was before the injury? I'm not a doctor, so uh, I cannot, like, I don't know. I I can't recall there being a history, like, a a recurring thing where players who have shoulder injuries come back and struggle to, to recapture they're scoring before whatever surgery or treatment they've had. I think if anything, like if this does cool Tarasenko's value, I think it might just cool it appropriately. As we've mentioned a few times on the show this year, a lot of people see Tarasenko as this big, like breakout, like point per game plus guy when that's not who he's been. And that's not who we expect him to be. So I think if anything, like if he goes in the middle of the second round uh, because of, this injury that he's coming off of, I feel like that's probably about where he belongs. So Brian, let's say next year's cupful draft, who would you take between like Tarasenko and say, uh, oh man, so many names I want to throw at, throw at you. Like say Nathan McKinnon, I guess you would have McKinnon higher. Yeah. I'll take McKinnon for that point per game upside. I think, yeah. I think he's got a better, like Tarasenko, it depends on your, your strategy too here, right? Like Tarasenko is just about as steady as you can get. Uh, from some from a player who you can pretty much rely on getting into the mid 70s year after year although we did have concerns whether or not he was actually going to finish there at several moments this year he ended up with only 66 points in 80 games so it does uh make take that that takes away from me trying to say how steady and reliable he was but the three years prior to that 73 74 75 points and i expect he can find his way back up there with a little 
uh, with a with a regression to the mean in his shooting percentage, which dropped a little bit this season. So yeah, uh, yeah. like McKinnon's the bigger swing. Tarasenko's the sure thing. Hmm, interesting. Or maybe a lot of people would say at this point, maybe McKinnon's proven that he's a solid sure thing himself. Of course, then you have position eligibility, which always comes in as a factor. Lots of centers out there. Like, it's very interesting. We're looking at, I'm looking now at our patron rankings. We've ranked 10 players so far. I think after today, oh, either I guess Liney or Burns will come in at number 11. But like, you know, Tarasenko hasn't even gotten a vote yet. And we're seeing names here that have never been ranked above Tarasenko in the last few years, like McKinnon, Taylor Hall, Blake Wheeler, Brad Marchand. I guess all these guys now. Uh, so, yeah, and I mean, for good reason. And they all, they all had better seasons. And with Tarasenko injured. So, yeah, maybe you're right. And I think I tend to agree, actually. Maybe mid-second round might be a good place for Vladimir Tarasenko. Like 20th, 15th, 20th overall, especially once you consider goalies, if you're going to be looking at that. But I uh, think that, you know, just watch him. Whenever a player comes back from injury, I always like to think of if there's an opportunity there to potentially get someone who's underrated because people are too afraid to take him. Just look at like Brad Marchand this year, came back from injury and was insane. Someone in the couple won an award for trading for him at the right time. Okay, uh, number four here. This was just a chat we had on Facebook. I don't know if, Brian, you wanted to get into it uh, again here, but it interested me. Someone asked, I wish I had the name, but it was like, he was asking who he should keep between Mark Stone, Ryan O'Reilly, and Jonathan Huberdeau. And you said Mark Stone, which I just found kind of interesting. I'd be curious to get your take on Mark Stone because clearly you're into him if you have him over those like two really steady guys. Like I really like Ryan O'Reilly. Maybe I'm too high on Ryan O'Reilly, but I feel like he could be a solid like 70-point guy if like he's playing with you know a healthy Jack Eichel for the whole season. We'll see if this happens. But of course, Mark Stone this season, he ended the year with 62 points in 58 games, so over a point per game pace, which is really amazing. Obviously, that's why you're having him so high. Before that, his career high was 64 points in 80 games, and then he had 61 points in 75 games. So he's been hovering around 60, 65 points. This year, he had this huge surge into being above a point per game pace. I'm just wondering, like, do you think he's going to be able to keep that up? Like, do you see him as now being a 70 point guy moving forward? Or do you see Mark Stone like regressing back to closer to the 65 and you were just maybe more down on Hubert Doe and Ryan O'Reilly? Yeah, I, I backed off my answer to say that Mark Stone is probably the least attractive of the three, but like right off the top for who had the best year this year, I sort of, it was Mark Stone. And I feel like not enough people know that. And I wanted, maybe I was probably overcorrecting by picking him of the three, like just, just to sort of make a point. And Mark Stone was not just a, a guy who got 62 points in 58 games, but for anyone who watched him play this year, he was dominant. Like when he was on the ice, he was in control, in charge. He looked like a star and uh, of course, we're waiting to see what his offseason looks like as he is. Uh, I'm going to have to check this again. But if, if memory serves me, he's a restricted free agent. And uh, Matt Kane, who you can find on Twitter, Kane is spelled C-A-N-E, uh, has this uh, contract prediction tool. And he's got he's had Mark Stone at a solid eight and a half million dollar contract for like the last year, which is like what? Like Mark Stone? Who even is Mark Stone? But that's how good he's been and how valuable a player he is. And so that's, that's what I think I was trying to bring attention with my answer. Although uh, again, I did change my answer to consider O'Reilly and Huberdeau um, who both seem like sure things to, or, or more likely options to hit 70 points. Mark Stone this year, the reason why I'm not necessarily banking on it next year is his shooting percentage stayed the same, but his on ice shooting percentage 
was way up. It was up near 11% this year compared to, well, a normal number uh, between eight and nine in the last two seasons. And his IPP was up at 76% when he's been used to like being in the mid mid sixties, say over the last few years. So uh, like on one hand, that could be uh, a showing of a, like of a really good player becoming a star. This was his age 25 season. So about now, is a reasonable time for a breakout to happen and for him to turn into from to blossom into a better player than he has been for most of his career, which by the way, is still like a 60, 65 point player. Like he's no, uh, I was going to say he's no spring chicken. That's not the right thing. He's not chopped liver here. Yeah. He's a really valuable fantasy player, uh, often undervalued in leagues. And, uh, I was probably wrong though, to prefer him oh, over both okay. Huberdeau and O'Reilly. I definitely didn't bring it up to uh, rub anything in. We'll see what happens. I think all three could end up being very close next year. I just wanted to get a little more insight. One thing I'm uh, a bit concerned about regarding Mark Stone is I feel like Eric Carlson being on the ice with him. I don't know if you have those numbers available, but I'd I'd imagine, I feel like you don't even need to look it up. I'd imagine a lot of his points came with Eric Carlson on the ice. And if Eric Carlson doesn't remain an Ottawa Senator, like if he gets traded at the trade deadline or who knows what's going to happen next year. I can't imagine that could be good for Mark Stone because Carlson really does seem to be the driver of offense. And like Mark Stone is great, but if you've got, I don't know, Cody CC or I guess Thomas Shabbat is, is decent, but like, you know, we'll see who he's playing with on that top power play and, you know, playing all the big minutes with, I feel like that could make a difference. So that's a little concerning though. I mean, you have people like, Jonathan Huberdo, who I thought was a lock to stick with Barkov all the time, then he got bumped to the second line. That obviously hurt him at the end of last year. That, that he's like a bit of a risky guy just because you don't know where he's going to land in the lineup. So it's tricky. I would take Ryan O'Reilly, but okay, Ben's got a Ben's got a thought. I'm just not really sure why you're backing off the Mark Stone train here because like O'Reilly, Dustin just pointed out has like a 64 point max on a season, and Huberdo had 70, but or I can't remember if he hit 70 or just hit 69, but he basically like after getting dropped off that first line, he definitely took a fall. So I just feel like Mark Stone is the obvious answer, especially if you want to like take a, like take a big swing. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. You're right. I never backed off of Mark Stone. I stood <laughs> behind that a hundred percent the whole way through. You're right though. Like, uh, like Ryan O'Reilly is not, like he's just someone who you know is going to be in a really good situation, whereas you don't know that Mark Stone is going to be. Um, and Huberdo also, you have to hope that he plays with Barkov. Like there are pros and cons to each player. Um, yes. Yeah. Sometimes- I don't know, Ben. You're swinging me back. Now I'm back on Mark Stone's yeah. side. The thing is, with a lot of these decisions, we debate so much, and then at the end of the year, they might all be within like a couple points from each other. Like this year, clearly Mark Stone would have been the winner, and no one would have said him going into the season. So that's what makes it fun and challenging. And I think it's easier. Like these keeper decisions are really hard near the end here because you probably, like, unfortunately, when it's so close, you have a two thirds chance of getting it wrong, right? Or maybe it'll just end up being even, and it won't matter who you chose. But it's a hard choice. I don't know. Go with your gut. <laughs> Uh, Elon, but- I'm gonna I'm gonna fill in a, a detail. You said like maybe he's getting a lot of points, you know, thanks to playing with Eric Carlson. One of the most amazing things about Mark Stone is that uh, that's not what happened. He the the most frequently uh, scoring defenseman, while like, sorry, I'm trying to phrase this properly. The guys who he scored with while they were on the ice, uh, Cody Cece and Johnny Oduya. So if he's putting up over a point per game with those two, uh, this is, of course, at even strength. 
then uh, like you can, you can probably do it with anyone. I'm not concerned if he's not doing it with Carlson. Although being on the power play together, probably helpful. Yeah, well, he had 11 points on the power play this year. So 11 of his 62 points were on the power play. So even if you take him away, he had no power play points, which is crazy. Then he would still have 51 points in 58 games, which would be a really good season. So Yeah, so I think my point is made here, like that underrated, Mark Stone underrated. He'll be a really good get at the draft for sure, like in fantasy drafts, because he still just does not have that name brand recognition. Any place for a team that people just assume everybody sucks on. Yeah, well, and also maybe he'll play with Matt Duchesne. Like Mike Hoffman might be underrated also at this point. Matt Duchesne might be overrated with how he did at the end of the year. Tough to bet a lot on him when he's been a disappointment in the past. A lot of fun stuff to get into. Okay, but I guess we're running out of time. One last thing I wanted to discuss, Brian, was take a quick look at the playoff scoring leaders. No huge surprises here. Crosby's at the top right now, 13 points. It's really hard because different people have played different number of games and uh, you know, it's such a small sample size. You have like Colton Sissons and Austin Watson there for Nashville with uh, seven points each. They're in like the 12th and 13th. I guess the one player I wanted to ask about if there's, if there's one guy is the guy tied with Crosby at the top, Jake Gensel. He, he did this last year to us and then we all fell for it and everyone thought it was going to be so amazing during the regular season after such an amazing playoffs and he ended with only 48 points in 82 games is this going to be deja vu like is jake gensel going to once again be the all-star of the playoffs and then afterwards go back and then everyone will like draft him in like the third fourth round of their draft then he'll go back to being like a little bit above average but nothing too special or are you seeing something like i mean you look at these these numbers in the playoffs i'm seeing a 35 point uh 35.3 shooting percentage that seems a little high he did have five points in Pittsburgh's win over Philly to tie Crosby for the most points in the playoffs right now. But still, he's in a good spot. Like, he's been getting power play time. I think a lot of it is due to Hornfist was out for a bit and then Malkin missed some time. So that helped Gensel get some extra power play time. Anyways, are you going to be into more, more into Gensel after this playoff run if he continues to do this well? Or is this more like a fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, not going to be fooled again type of thing? So first off, we shouldn't discount Jake Gensel's rookie season when you said like he came out of nowhere to be to be amazing in the playoffs. He had 33 points in 40 games as a 22-year-old rookie in 2016-17. And beyond that, uh, he had 22 points in his last 20 games. So he was a plus point-per-game player over the stretch. And that carried into the playoffs. This situation is a little different because, yeah, he was pretty terrible for most of this season and then, although if his name's Elias Lindholm, you're calling him very successful with 48 points in 82 games. Uh, I sidetracked myself with that. I just said that he wasn't garbage. <laughs> uh, so anyway, is he for real? I think he's for real just based on... So when he was doing really well in the regular season last... Well, I don't know. Is it two seasons ago yet? Or is it last year? Whatever. In 16-17, he was shooting near 20%. So far in the playoffs this year, he is shooting 35% with six goals on 17 shots, which matches Sidney Crosby's shooting percentage is just below Sean Couture's shooting percentage. Like it's early in the playoffs. Uh, We're going to have these weird, crazy percentages uh, early on. The thing with Gensel is that he has just one uh, power play goal of those. So you probably think uh, that obviously his goal scoring pace is not sustainable, I'm not ready to make a call yet, but I I don't think anyone doubted that there was talent there 
It was just a lot of missed opportunities this year for one reason or another. So it'd be really nice to see him get back on track in the playoffs. Although even if he does that, I'm guessing that he does not get drafted as high this season as he did last year. Well, that's the thing. Like, I think the main factor here, like you say, he missed opportunities, isn't that? And sure, probably those opportunities were in practice or during the few games where he played with Sidney Crosby because at the end, it, like, it's, sad, it's annoying to have to say this and just sound like I'm repeating myself and we're always saying the same things on the podcast. But Jake Gensel on the first line is so different than Jake Gensel on the third line. That's where he spent a lot of the season. And now in the playoffs, he's been with Crosby the whole time magic is happening goals are being scored so even if that continues all throughout the playoffs then you go to drafts next year you know last year the reason why he was drafted so high is everyone assumed he was going to be playing with sherry or sorry connor sherry and crosby on the top line and then it just fell apart it didn't happen or didn't last and who knows like i think with pittsburgh we've seen they they shake things around so much so jake gensel becomes one of these guys if you draft him you have to be willing i guess if anything the one lesson is if you do draft him and if he sucks at the beginning he's one of those players you just kind of need to hold on to because lines are going to shake up and what we have seen from you said like the sample size at the end of this year and last year and now these playoffs and last playoffs like when he plays with crosby good things happen crosby is not getting any worse and Jake Gensel's along for the ride and doing really well. And he's a good player, but who knows if he actually gets to stay there next year or if they just shake things around all the way through. Cool. Cool. That's all I got. Did you want to have a, so, I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's been a while. We're like a hundred minutes in almost. Mm-hmm. There was mention of a survivor. Oh yeah. Hey, did okay. you want to make that happen still? Sure. How about this? Let me just thank everyone for listening. <laughs> we really appreciate you listening to a Summer Series episode. I hope you liked it. Obviously, this wasn't the most uh, professionally done episode Elon, we've ever done. you say this every time. This is how we do our Summer Series. We make no apologies. Okay. Anyone who's listening has probably listened before. And if it's your first time, well, you probably loved the show. Okay. All I'm saying is as we go through the summer series, we're going to get a little bit more into like, re- you know, especially once the playoffs are over. That's where we'll start getting into researching and really look into the numbers and try to project for next year. Right now, it's still too early, you know, but anyways, hope you like the show. Tweet at us at Keeping Carlson. Let us know what you think. Give us a five-star review on iTunes. If you would be so kind, I don't think many people are doing that right now. So we will definitely notice and appreciate your five-star review on iTunes right now. I already mentioned you can become a patron. A buck gives you every perk that we give. Sometimes we just come up with a perk off the top of our head. We might throw it at you, like uh, posting show notes or, or something. Anyways, check it out, keepingcarlson.com slash patron. Get in on it, and you'll have a good time in the Facebook group, I'm pretty sure. Uh, with that, before we cue the outro music, if you want to leave now, now's your chance. Ben and I, are, and maybe Brian. Brian, you're up to date on Survivor, right? Yeah. Okay, we're going to talk some Survivor up to episode, okay, like, I don't know, the second, we just saw the second vote out after the merge. So if you haven't watched that episode yet, you know, up to today, okay, up to April, whatever, April 24th, that's what we're going to be discussing. We're going to assume you've watched all of Survivor up till then. And if you don't want to listen to this conversation, then you can leave. Um, and with that, uh, Ben, let's chat some Survivor. Well, hang on. If someone's leaving, let me just credit uh, Hockey Reference, Natural Stat Trick. Uh, Dabra Hockey Frozen Pool fan tracks. Wait, so are we not going to do this later? Or we're going to do it twice now? Well, no. If people are leaving, I just they're, want they're them to fine. know where we they got the care. info. 
I feel like we we say the credits just to be nice, just to cite our sources, but no one actually listens to that and cares, right? If they really want to know the sources, they'll check. It's on our website, keepingcarlson.com. We have links to all of our all of our sources. That we haven't updated in three years because who maintains a website anymore? <laughs> That's true. Tweet at us and we'll tell you our sources. <laughs> okay. I will say the natural stat trick, I just used it for the first time when I was doing playoff pool research or bracket research, and it's awesome. I really like that site. So good. It's really evolved into uh, like it's like at the start of the year when hockey analysis went dark because the mm-hmm. the guy who ran it got hired by the flames. Uh, I was very concerned and natural statric seems to have stepped into their very easily searchable database uh, mm-hmm. niche thing. Them in Corsica. Uh, so, Elon, I actually asked you this question in a patron cast a few weeks ago and you said you wanted to see how it would play out. So we're kind of further in the game now. Very curious because I just do not understand Dom's strategy of pretending he had an idol, even though he did have an idol. Like, what is the what is the possible purpose of doing okay. that? Let's break this down. Like, we have to solve this together. I don't even like know where to start. So, like, it worked. Like, I mean, can we do some results oriented things? So far, things are going well for Dominic. He got Chris out. He he wore that shell. Like I like I don't know though it doesn't make sense like he has the idol and Chris okay I'm just trying to work this out like Chris he told Chris I have the idol but then he showed him a fake idol I guess so that when he played this idol maybe it was his op- okay this okay I got it Ben how about this he wants Chris to think that he has the idol but he wants everyone else to not think he has the idol so that's why he was wearing it. And now, like, after this tribal council, he wore the shell. Chris goes home. Everyone sees, oh, he didn't have the idol. It was this stupid shell idol. Oh, he had a legacy advantage. Okay, he played that. So maybe now a bunch of people don't realize that he actually still has an idol. Does that make sense? That does make sense. But typically, they go through such pains to explain every player. Like, they'll just show players in the cut. I don't, I can't remember what they call it. The like interview, the testimonials and they'll be like, yes. And they'll be like, yeah, this is what I was thinking. And this is why I did this. And they have not shown Dominic explaining this idea at all. (laughs) It's clearly too complicated. It's so bizarre. Usually, but in ghost Island, their whole thing is getting into like the weeds of why Mm -hmm. players have done like previous mistakes. So this just seemed like an opportunity to be like, this is why, like this is a really in-depth weird strategy someone has. And instead they just like, he just didn't explain it. And your, your explanation is legitimately uh, satisfying. I feel like for that, but I'm, I'm sure it's not actually the real one. I'm sure the real explanation is Dominic like is very excited to play the game he found an idol early on he's like all juiced up and excited to play and then he doesn't go to tribal council what's he supposed to do so he goes around making fake guys. now he made a fake one i want to talk about it like he, 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 i don't know what he's doing but i think his game is in trouble like i think yes. the main thing that hurt him is wendell telling laurel that he has an idol also. So now Laurel, who maybe was cool with working with Wendell and Donna and Dominic, because you know they have one idol, whatever, she could probably take them out. Now all of a sudden she sees that both of them have idols. She might be scared and decide to turn on them earlier than she would have. So I think that was a bad thing for Dominic that he couldn't even help. Yeah, I agree. Uh I w- I'm kind of just cheering for Michael now though. Uh mm. He's just the most fun and he's had some good moves already and he's just a kid and he's the wild card on his own and he could go on a, seems like he could go on like a immunity run here. 
Maybe. Know. You know that uh, it's been a long time since a man won immunity. I feel like Jeff Probst, mm-hmm. for some reason, doesn't like to bring this kind of thing up. But, like, the women have been, like, uh, last season, Chrissy, and before that, there were some other uh, women on last season. Desiree won one. Like, it's been a long time since a man won immunity, and also the season before. So it's like, I think that, I don't know what it is about, like, maybe the types of people they cast, like, the different skill sets or whatever. But I wouldn't be surprised. Like, I'd be very, or I should say, I would be very surprised if Michael could win a lot of immunities. It doesn't even seem like men are that good at winning immunities in modern Survivor the last couple of seasons. Maybe it's just a coincidence. I don't know. It depends how he's how he is at the puzzles. Sometimes a lot of these challenges are yeah. like a little obstacle course than a puzzle at the end. I think Kellen is really well suited. As long as she could get through that obstacle course, I don't think she's, like, bad athletically. She might not get to the end first. But she might be able to. Don't you think also, though, Michael, like, I like him. Like, he's nice. But I like a funny player. Like, he's not funny. Like, I don't know. He's not giving me anything. So it's hard for me to cheer for him just because he seems like he's kind of boring and nice. I think part of the, like, men not winning thing is that, uh, like, strong men get targeted super early. as Mm. Like, they get noticed as uh, idol threats. And then you're right, though. Like, normally like by the merge everyone's like oh look out for like this jacked guy with a six pack and then they always lose because it's like a balance thing or something and then yeah it's usually like a very strong woman who just woman who ends up like winning five straight or whatever uh i just find michael to be uh like kind of a fun underdog because he's so young like the whole 18 year old thing i find to be like a fun characteristic and uh he's just like yeah he's just like kind of on his own has been on his own for so long. And I think he's like a likable guy. I don't find like this, this season is full of players who seem like very adept. Like there's no complete player that I really like so far. I really like Kellen, but uh, I don't yeah. know. I, I picked her in my play in my survivor pool. So maybe I'm, I'm biased a little bit and I like Wendell. I think he's funny. And uh, I don't I like, like Wendell Michael's- too. I guess the thing is with Michael is we could say all we want. He's going to be out soon. Like what chance, like what could he do aside from going on an immunity run, which I don't think he will. You did make a good point though. Like last season, Cole probably would have won a lot of those immunities, but he got voted out the first time he didn't win it. And that's happened before with guys like Joe and like whatever, Ozzy. So yeah. yeah. So that's a good point. But either way, I don't think Michael's going to win it. And like, it seems like every, like who's someone who has had every vote for them in and, you know, just get saved because they played an idol and then gone on to win the game. Like, I guess you have Ben last season, but that was like, he's not going to find it. Like, I hope not. That would be annoying. Like if he just finds an idol every single time, never even. It felt like they made a rule just to make Ben win last season. Cause they just realized that they couldn't not have Ben win. Yeah. I mean, I've definitely heard that conspiracy theory. Like, I mean, it seems like, right. Like I, I'd like to believe that they're not going to ruin the integrity of the show just to like have Ben win over Chrissy or whatever, Devin. But I, it was so co- like coincidentally, every time he needed an idol, he found it. Then the one time he couldn't play an idol, they changed the rules so that he just had to build a fire. Ah. It was ridiculous. Yeah. And, uh, I see your point. Um, I see. I I wanted to like Dominic. He's like usually the type of player I like. Who like the 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 person who did that game the best was Tony, and he was the most entertaining and ridiculous player that I can remember in the last couple of years. But like, no one is actually that good at like walking the line between being like adapt at everything and then like ridiculously like funny uh, overconfident in the social game. Like, cause Dominic plays a little too hard socially to not get noticed. And that's, what's really going to like knock him and Wendell off is they're just like too obvious of a target. Right. And then there was like that guy last season, Ryan, who seemed 
to be like pretty funny at the start. Like I guess he made a lot of stupid analogies that didn't really make sense. Like the sad birthday party, which I've never been to one of those. I don't even know what he was talking about, but like, uh, but yeah. And then he sort of ended up not being big part strategically. There almost seemed like the end of last season, if you weren't winning challenges or finding idols, then it's like you had no chance to win. But the thing with yeah. I think Tony, like, I think there's something Tony did that was so brilliant. I don't even know. I'm sure he says he did it on purpose. I'd love to know if he didn't. Like, the main reason Tony went so far is I feel like he was smart to keep Spencer in the game the whole time. So people were never, like, no matter how crazy he was, it was like everyone thought, okay, no, we got to get rid of Spencer now. Like, Spencer and Tasha, right? And they both, one of them would win immunity. And then, you know, then Tony would, like, flip and vote out one of his people. And then afterwards, everyone would probably be like, oh, man, we got to get rid of Tony. But then when they had the opportunity, no, we got to you know, vote out Spencer or Tasha because they'll for sure win. And it was just like, it really yeah. worked out so well for him. It was definitely like a Rob, Boston Rob thing to like bring the goat with you to the end. And then it does seem like since Tony, that's definitely been a strategic move to like have the person ahead of you. Uh, I can't remember what, what the oh, player yeah. was, but the year that Adam won, there were like four players in a row who were like really, I thought like more interesting and better competitors who all just kept getting voted out because like, and just Adam was like by process of elimination, the last one right. left. Yeah. Like David was so good. And Jay, that was, it is like, I think they call it the meat shield strategy. They've been saying that on some of the podcasts <laughs> I listen to. It's like, I got to have my meat That's really shield. Funny. Yeah. That's really funny. <laughs> but it's so true. Like, if you have just the goats, if you have just the crappy players left, then that means that you're going to be the one with the target. So you need mm-hmm. to sort of be the next best. That's why I think someone like Laurel or Kellen is in a good spot right now. Yeah, I like Laurel's game because she has like a strong alliance, but she also probably... This is a weird year because it's almost like a earlier season where it's like voting blocks as opposed to like straight mm-hmm. up alliances. And it really feels like things are just going to like... They're just going to keep on voting out the strong, like the perceived strong players until it's like like you said, like Laurel and Kellen, like people who play a little bit further under the radar. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping for. Anyways, I hope like so far it's actually like, you know, in the edit, you know, they're trying to make it seem like it's all these voting blocks and stuff. But when we actually see the votes, they just vote people out of that original Malolo tribe every single time. True. Yeah. They're doing the like Chris, except for Chris, actually, like he uh, just was crazy. Shouts out Chris for being like the lunatic in the early, like uh, for saying, like how off like not off the cuff were all of those rap bars that he would try and throw <laughs> off and he just sounded so lame the whole time. I'm pretty sure they were totally like things he's written and said on every 100%. date. Every like, yeah. person he yeah. with <laughs> drops the same rap on them. And he does the look like Can uh-huh. you believe I just said that? <laughs> And then I think on the Rob podcast, uh, someone was mentioning how he always just drops random sports players, like athletes' names in the raps and doesn't even make sense. Like, just, I'm yeah. doing this, Sammy Sosa. Like, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> yeah. It was, it's, he's just the most embarrassing guy. And uh, I was really hoping that he wasn't going to, uh, not using your idol when you have like only two times to use it as that well. It's just like, it was the dumbest move of the year. Well, so not far. only. Did he only have two times to use it? He also had a guy go and yell that he was voting for him for everyone to hear. Like, he knew that he was getting votes. He was just so... That's the thing with him. He's so confident in himself. He can't even imagine that the plan he lays out isn't going to work. So he didn't care. And then, like... And then even uh, Dominic played his advantage. So even if Dominic got more votes than him, he would have... I guess he was just so confident that everyone was going to vote out Wendell that he didn't even have to worry about it. He He didn't even have a vote himself crazy he made it about himself like he said look they're gonna vote for me 
you guys have to vote for them. Like he knew that it was going to be between the, he and Wendell. So yeah, it's just like the most amount of hubris possible, which I really enjoy watching when people like who are so confident get voted out, which is a fun thing about ghost Island this year. Yeah. It's definitely happened a lot. Well, Bradley also before was so fun, but Ugh. okay. You know, this is kind of wild. I wonder how long we've been talking about. So I guess it's only been like 10 minutes. I can't imagine too many people are sticking around. All right. Well, uh, I guess we should have a, some sort of hashtag. Uh, how about KK yeah. Survivor? If you made it this far, tweet with a hashtag KK Survivor. We'll see if you made it this far. I promise we won't do this again. Brian's already gone. He's probably like asleep by now. I'm still I mean, here. You could also just not include this part of the episode. <laughs> Should I not? But what if someone wants to hear about it? I don't know. Make it a patron good? bonus. Do a, Brian, do a Keeping Carlson Survivor podcast for the patrons. Right. We could do that. I don't know. No one would want it. If you, if you want it, let us know. All right. <laughs> Let's end the show. Uh, we'll keep this in. Who cares? Summer episode. We, we warned people. We told them they could leave. Brian, anything else you want to say before we go? Uh, No. What did you think of our Survivor chat? Do you think that was good content or do you think it was like Snore City? I enjoyed it. All right. We're good. I... I enjoy you. Okay, I don't know why. Okay, what are Brian? Why did Brian not give takes? Uh, Brian's tired. <laughs> Elon knows. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a big part. Also, like I feel like you guys are both very good at talking about my. Like I watch with my wife, and she like. <laughs> Like, we watch it, and then, like, she wants to talk about it. And, like, I just, like, she's like, well, I can't wait to, like, go to work tomorrow to talk to this person who, like, actually wants to talk about Survivor with her. I'm just, I'm not a good Survivor chatter. I'm a good Survivor watcher, uh, what, but what I'm not a good, good Survivor chatter. It's, what makes you a good watcher? You make, like, good comments during the show? Um, uh, yeah. Just... I mean, like, I watch reliably every week. Doesn't that count for something? I guess. Well, I don't and know how I much I I don't know how much it helps Josie, but I guess you can be <laughs> proud of yourself. Okay, at least give us a, who do you like this year? Who, who's your favorite? Uh, I'll go back to what, what Ben was saying about Michael. Like, I definitely want to cheer for him. Yeah, he is, like, he's, uh-huh. like, so scary as, like, such, like, a capable, like, good-looking young man. Like, he just is, like, could, like, wipe the floor with me and probably, like, 99% of life situations. It's very intimidating. We should invite like, him into the cupful and see how he He's does. just like so <laughs> earnest about it all though. So that's why. And like he's in such a bad spot. So it's easy to cheer for him in that spot. Like I want to see him like in his story, of course, like also like, you know, moving to California to do real estate or whatever, like as an 18 year old, like that's a pretty impressive thing to do. So I feel like he could have like some really good tricks up his sleeve or just like be really skilled. And I want him to be able to stick around and, and use those skills. Well, hopefully people listening to this tomorrow will already realize, like, you know, won't already have just seen him voted out as I think he's the number one bet on the board. If it he sure seems win, possible. Yeah. Hashtag bring Brian's wife on the podcast to talk Survivor 2018. <laughs> Should this be a summer series thing every, uh, uh, for the next cup, for the, at least one more before the Survivor season's over, maybe we could have another Survivor chat. We gotta figure out what we're gonna do for the next episode. Okay, this is still like the live main show that's going out to all of our listeners, which is kind of crazy. This is like definitely patron cast-esque, just like blabbing for a while with no plans to edit. But okay, I'm gonna say bye. I had fun. Nice chatting with you, Brian. Nice chatting with you, Ben. Jade, thanks again for coming on the show. I doubt she listened this far <laughs> once we got into the Survivor chat. And yeah, we'll be back at you guys with another episode in a couple of weeks. And uh, Brian, what should they do until then? Are you busy typing? No, that's Ben. But until then, 
keep on keeping Carl's son. Bye.